Dark Shadows Literary License Podcast Episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's cut to the chase, as it were. You're a Louisville, Kentucky Southern gentleman, and mm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you uh, you had quite an interesting childhood. Uh, for for those people who don't know that, uh, Roger has uh, has had two brothers, uh, Edwin Jr. and Brent. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Roger. That's correct. Okay. And uh he was in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Roger, let's let's begin with your childhood. Uh what do you what are your fondest reminiscences of that? Uh and uh as not just in terms of getting into uh the entertainment with which you were five years old, but in general, let's start with that. What are your fondest reminiscences? Well now I need to explain that we we actually uh, had our, our primary home in Louisville, Kentucky. My dad owned a, a, uh, a, a sizable tire uh, dealership that it wasn't a tire dealership in those days. It, what he did was he recapped on a contract basis. Recapping is, for those of you who never heard of this kind of thing, uh, all uh, truck tires and especially um, – airplane uh, tires, and in those days, passenger cars as well were recapped, retreaded. If you brought your your uh, tire in to be fixed, it was retreaded rather than you buy a new tire. But today, uh, it's so cheap to get tires that there's almost no such thing as retreading, except in the trucking and airline business, it still exists. And Louisville was halfway between Chicago and uh, Miami, so it was the perfect spot. And my dad had large contracts with big trucking companies out of Chicago and Miami, and um, and they were based. Uh, a few were based in Louisville. A few were in Uber, Silver Fleet. Won't mean a thing to you, but uh, uh, it uh, gave a great uh, source of, of of income for a business. And my father was in that as long as I can remember. And uh, he, uh, though though I understand that he did before that when he was young, he barnstormed the old Jenny airplanes and uh, wow. and uh, and uh, raced the uh, motorcycles and he was uh, quite uh, he had a car before anybody in Smiths Grove. My parents grew up in a little town with 800 people called Smiths Grove, and uh, my mother had was from a large farming family that uh, uh, really uh, just at, at one point stopped and sort of lived off the uh, selling off uh, the big uh, uh, holdings of the farm for, for um, I don't know, a couple of generations. And, and, but my parents met when my mother was 
I think 14 and my dad was 19. Wow. And from that point on, they were virtually um, just inseparable. Um, mm -hmm. They, they, and they were together until the end. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, they, they were, um, but we had a farm in Bowling Green, which is 30 miles south of Smith's Grove. All my relatives lived there. My uncle owned a plumbing company uh, called Pfizer Plumbing, and uh, his name was W.D. Pfizer. He was a big, tall, strapping guy with very thick black, uh, well, when I knew him, he, he said pepper, salt and pepper hair. And uh, he was married to my mother's sister. And uh, there was uh, my my mother's sister uh, had a husband who died of tuberculosis, and she married uh, Mr. Pfizer. And they had another child, but she had three children by her first uh, husband, uh, Andrew Cole. And so, yeah, a big family. Let's see. All together, there were lots of relatives, and they were yeah. all in Bowling Green. So we got a farm in Bowling Green uh -huh. because it was really uh, an, a perfect, a perfect spot for us. And mother wanted us to uh, enjoy the kind of life that she had when she grew up. Uh, dad didn't so much have that. Dad's uh, mother died when he was six with uh, appendicitis. I would later get appendicitis undiagnosed in 1976 and spent seven months in the hospital with peritonitis and, and uh, was very lucky to live. But uh, I, I wish I'd remembered that both my father's mother, my father's father, my father, everybody had a ruptured appendix. My mother had had a ruptured appendix. So it ran in my family as it does. And uh, so I, but I'm digressing because Bowling Green was really the place that I um, was the focus of my childhood. Okay. Uh, okay. And uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, uh, let's see something. You know, it's really kind of a fortuitous thing here. I just, uh, I just wrote a piece uh, for a collection of stories that I'm writing. Hmm. Uh, and let me see if I have it here where you could actually uh, enjoy just a, a moment of it. Well, I hope enjoy it anyway. I'm sure um, we will. And, and it's very, it's, it's about my, uh, it's about my childhood. Okay. And, and just exactly the question you're, you're asking about. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, um, Uh, I'm looking at a picture here of my brother and me and my mother against the uh, white plank fence on our farm. And I have on a straw hat and no shirt. And I'm about just about the age that I was when I wrote this. Okay. Uh, well, the time period of which I'm talking about, I wrote this the other night. Um, when I dream now, I don't dream of past accomplishments or the truly remarkable occurrences in my life or yeah. even romantic ex escapades with lovers. My mind drifts 
deeper and farther back in time to when I was still a boy, sure. all appetite and innocence, sure. walking down the Glen Lily Pike. I had crossed the L&N Railroad track that divided our town from the rural areas where our family farm, Three Maples, was located in Bowling Green. I carried a new Daisy Red Rider BB gun, a rifle, actually. I had bought it at Pleaner's Grocery Store on the square downtown, and even though I was less than a head taller than the counter, I convinced Mrs. Fleener that my dad had asked me to pick it up for him and that he was across the street having lunch with my mother at the parakeet. But just to reassure her, I told her it was my birthday. So there I was walking home, the lynx-eyed hunter on safari, searching for a black racer snake that might be sunning himself on the sides of the hot and soft tire tar of the barely two-lane road back to the stately white plank fence that set off our place from the neighboring farms that had only wire and post enclosures. Back then on the Glen Lily, there were only a, well, the occasional farmhouse surrounded by tobacco and cornfields, a wagon or two always pulling, uh, always being pulled by a team of plow horses would pass me uh, hauling just stock tobacco up the, the hill to the massive old Miller barn that sat alone in the baking sun where the fresh green leaves, uh, the, uh, the fresh green tobacco leaves would be hanged way up in the rafters to dry to a toasty reddish brown that would finally come to smell so sweet and familiar to a 10-year-old farm boy in Kentucky. Wow. But now, before my tobacco digression, I searched the edges of the Glen Lily, hoping to surprise the ominous black creatures that slither into the tall grass borders upon the slightest movement of any advancing threat. I'm the great, well, at least four feet two inches, white hunter in Africa, stalking the beaches that were as bright as the old road, and the, and the surf was the wavy high grass that moved back and forth toward the road in the soft wind. And it seemed as if mermaids were dipping their long, full hair into the roaring surf that were the heat waves rising from the road. It hurt my eyes to strain to see the long black sea creatures that would slide into the surf as I approached. I walked this coast every day, and I saw the capes and the green and brown hills, and I heard the surf alive with thousands of flying sea bugs that made a noise like cicadas, and giant seabirds would swoop down and grab one right out of the air. And I smell the old oak of the decks of horse-drawn ships. And that smelled of Africa. And I went on dreaming of the white peaks of the islands rising out of the sea. That's an amazing, that's an amazing little <clears throat> snippet uh, from that story. Yeah. And, uh, well, that uh, gives you a sense of what it was uh, it like, uh, you know, for a, lo for, for a lonesome kid. Uh, uh, I only had my brother. My brother was into horses. We had a horse named Slash. We had a pony named Jeannie that I never got on because it was the meanest thing that ever walked on four uh, legs. Oh, God. Uh, I, I'll tell you. Every time I got on, she'd, she'd, uh, she'd throw me, and then she'd try to roll over on me. So 
one, um, ex- one, ex- one experience yeah. I want to share with you very, very briefly about horses. And I mean, the only time I'm, I'm, I'm a Brooklyn boy, actually, but the only time I ever rode in a horse is when I went up to a dude ranch in upstate New York in my early 20s. And I was not told that when you're on a horse, this horse is an animal and you have to hold this animal in the reins. Otherwise, they're going to run you into the ground. And uh, and he and he nearly put me, run me into the branches of a tree. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I was going to say that this that this um, that this small uh, that this small example that you gave us it's almost like a kind of almost a Huckleberry Finn kind of background, which kind of is weird because you started at age nine uh, to get into the children's theater uh, in Mark Twain's Prince. Well, and that's that's home and that's back home in Louisville. Right, okay? right, right. Louisville was a small city, but a real city. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and uh, so it was much more, it was cosmopolitan. Sure. Uh, what we would do in the summers was escape to the farm in Bowling Green. I, uh, I used the word escape because it was, you know, the summer had certain activities that were always there, mm-hmm. always what you would do in the summer. But on the farm, it was, it was uh, just a, a, a miracle. It was an adventure that never ended. You you came upon something different every day, and uh, uh, I could. I, it was it's a great. unique. It's a unique background, uh, no doubt. And um, getting back to actually uh, the your first acting experience in in Louisville, uh, where you played the Archbishop, um, that really got you. The, the, that was the first experience that got you into acting, I would think. And what did um, what exactly was about that that uh, that turned you on to the profession, even at age nine? Well, you need to kind of know. Uh, I was just a kid who loved uh, listening to. At that point, I didn't hear much. I was a, a, old enough to where TV was coming in uh-huh. when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, but there was a moment in my very early uh, childhood that radio was was all there was. Yes. And uh, yes. so, uh, but TV came very quickly, and I believe we got a television set um, um, so early that uh, it was a magna box, seven and a half inches, and it had this magnifying glass in front of it, oh and the God. and. Uh, most of the day, you would look at a. Uh, it was uh, kind of a signal picture that they would. They it just sat there on your set, and then in the evening or the late afternoon after you got home from school, there was Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Sure. And and sure. Uh, and, sure. uh, and then uh, yeah, there the the and the shows you were that everybody remembers uh, Milton Berle and. And uh, and uh, the Ed Sullivan show on Sundays. But I was um, you you kind of need to understand that I was always, always interested in tap dancing, singing and acting. And I dreamed of being what I would later understand was a triple threat in show business. And uh, (laughs) uh, so I, I started. I, but I didn't start taking tap lessons until I was about nine. And I discovered that that was early 
And the kids who really tap danced started at uh, three, four, five. Um, I, I know Christopher Walken was in New York where he could study and, and, uh, and be, you know, he started tap dancing at five. But, uh, and of course, he became a, a real hoofer and, and uh, a chorus guy for a long time. Whereas I um, was, you know, I, I was more, uh, well, I had a, com- a comedy routine and I did impressions. <laughs> and I thought, you know, uh, I would get in front of uh, families, couples. I would go out to the Masonic home and, and, do, and do my impressions anywhere I could find a place to do them. And, uh, and then I developed a, a, a comedy act. Uh, I know that's kind of hard to imagine for people who, who saw me on Dark Shadows where I was, uh, right. albeit right. <laughs> super serious. That's right. But later, they, they know that when I got to Smith & Jones, uh, they, 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 my, my whole life as, uh, as a light-hearted, uh, comedic, more comedic uh, comedy-type person came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... I foolishly from time to time would, would turn down, a, turn down a comedy like love on a rooftop, wow. uh, which the producer, Jerry Davis uh, took me to lunch and he said, now look, this is barefoot in the park. Now, believe it or not, I, for, I just, I didn't see barefoot in the park. I had left California for California just when barefoot in the park. I, I don't know. I didn't see it. All I can say is that I didn't see it. And uh, I was doing a play off Broadway. I didn't pay much attention. I had to focus on on the show that I was doing off Broadway and the soap opera. I, it just slipped by me. But I know that Joel Crothers was understudy in in uh, that show, really? and I think actually uh, came into the show after Redford left the show. Uh, and of course, uh, so did. Uh, so did Jane Fonda. Uh, I mean, they both left the show, and and but it was a successful show, and it ran on with uh, with uh, I don't know who was opposite Joel Crothers, who was a very good actor and a very funny guy, very very funny guy. <laughs> he got uh, well, any I rem- I remember yeah. well. I'll I'll stop because you know I I was once uh, Merv Griffin once wanted me to do a talk show. And this is back in New York. And uh, yeah. and he would say, I'd say, why a talk show? He goes, because, Roger, I swear to God, I just ask you one question and you can go on for a damn hour. But, you know, uh, and it's great. And it's great that you can because and I only wish we had a, a, a five yeah. hour interview. But you would be you would yeah. you would be exhausted <laughs> by the time you by the time you finished. I, of course, we, we'd love to listen, but we don't want you to lose your voice. So, um, well, I'm looking out over the sun is out and my master bedroom looks out over the ocean here in Malibu. He's in Malibu. And I see all the way from Santa Monica all the way almost to the Channel Islands uh, that I have a true 180 degree view of the ocean and um, Magnificent. my house sits on a bluff overlooking oh, the ocean Magnificent. and uh, so I'm a lucky guy I'm looking out at a, uh, this this yacht must be 400 feet long You're and a lucky it's got a helicopter on the yeah. back of it 
Yeah. And people are coming in. I know who it is. It's the it's the guy who owns the Nobu restaurant here in Malibu. And he comes in on certain weekends. And, and there's always a kind of shuttle of activity back and forth with small boats. You're and they go guy. in and eat his, his restaurant. If, if I can oh, well, just, listen, yeah. you, you know, look, I've, I've come a long way from yep. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yep. I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say, and I want to focus just for a second. A lot of the fans may not know uh, your high school years. Uh, you were in Lebanon, Tennessee, and there I understand yep. you attended Castle Heights Military Academy. Quite, quite a distinguished career. Uh, do you want me to tell? Uh, tell let, let you tell them. What did you do? And don't be afraid. <clears throat> don't be afraid to show off. This is quite impressive. Oh, don't be afraid. Um you were in the debate. I'm going to, you know what, I, I, I'll let, I'll let you do it because I've been talking and I'm, I'll, oh. I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, let me hear, let me see if it, <laughs> let me see if you got it right. Okay. okay. Well, I have <laughs> you down. You were a star of the debating team. You won an eight state debating championship. You won the national forensic league's top award. You led it in cross country. You led it in track and swimming. You graduated the school's second highest ranking cadet, and you were one of six cadets scheduled, selected to graduate cum honorare. Which is unbelievable. Cum cum laude. Oh, it's cum laude. Oh, it's with, cum laude. I'm sorry. Yes, with honor. With cum honor. Laude. So it's cum, cum laude honorari with honor, which is uh, which is quite a uh, which is quite an feat. I just missed magna cum laude when I graduated college by four hundredths of a percentage point, and I was gritting my teeth over it. So <laughs> I so I I can understand I can under I can understand how precious an honor that is, and, and I still I still remember mine. So it is certainly a tribute that you were not only academically inclined but you excelled uh you on the debating team and this is obvious this obviously i think in my opinion this helped to prepare you for your uh acting and entertainment career and stuff like yes, that. yes now now look i was also in in dramatic reading and in uh and comic reading as well okay mm. uh the, or humorous they called it humorous reading yeah and i um uh, well, he was older than I was, but uh, James Dean was a phenomenon, and everybody in our tri-state area of Indiana, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee knew who James Dean was, not as an actor, nothing like that. He was just the – he won a couple of years in a row uh, the dramatic reading and humorous reading. He was, he was really, really well-known. Uh, in in forensic activities, which I took uh, a great interest in, and was um, it really was responsible for my just as I'm sure it was with him. Uh, it was I'm not comparing myself to James Dean, but I, I'm just saying that uh, similar interests, and you find your way into something that you love, and um, I was. Uh, always, always thought, I'm, I'm serious, from the time I was a little kid, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was going to be an actor, okay? Uh, and, and I never, I, I never really, I never really thought about what it would be or how I would do it or anything like that. And, and of course, my, my parents were actually surprisingly supportive. That's great. Because 
Uh, Dad made money. Money was not everything. He taught us to uh, not think of money as a an end all be all. And of course, that's easy to say when you have money. And I'm very, very aware of that. And I have had in my life great swings of great wealth, and I've lost great sums of money, and I've done uh, projects that I never ever thought I would be allowed to do. <laughs> but that comes later after uh, my show business career, which started at Warner Brothers in 1961. I, uh, I, 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 I finished. Uh, we're going to get to that. High school. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, but we're, we're but gonna, what? Uh, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll slow down and let you take it. But Castle Heights Military Academy, which is, which is only now the library is there and the, all the buildings, but they're the they're the buildings that are the city buildings for Lebanon, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. The school closed. Oh, I'm going to say ten years after I graduated. Yeah. Uh, I I was. I tried very hard to get everybody to 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 realize that military was not, when Vietnam hit. Military became so uh, it it was uh, you were persona non grata if yeah. you cared about the military. So yeah. uh, the school did not drop its ROTC program, and they just kind of didn't know what to do with students who were living there if they didn't have ROTC, because they didn't really have uh, a very large or interesting program when it came to dramatics or singing or dancing or anything other than ROTC studies, which ROTC encompassed drilling, drill, go out and march every day. So that after we had lunch, and you had CQ, which was confinement to quarters. It was run like a real military thing, but it was a prep school. And uh, we, uh, there was a, um, every, every, every prep school then was military in the South. It, you, it was only when I went to Columbia that I realized that there was Kent and Exeter and Andover, Andover and Chode and Broughton and, and Lawrenceville. Uh, and and I met my best friend in college, which was uh, uh, it's very hard for me now. Hold on, that's all right. That's all right. And, and I'm that's, getting upset. Uh, oh, Don sorry. Briscoe. Uh, Don Briscoe uh, was my best friend in may, college, and may rest he had in peace. gone to. He had, yes, I know it's very sad, and of course, yeah. I know far more about that than you all do. But sure, uh, sure. the um, and and about Don's uh, life. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Don went to Exeter, uh, and he was from Memphis, Tennessee, and I was, of course, from Bowling Green, and and had gone to prep school, and but not Exeter. Don went to Exeter on a paperboy scholarship to show you how brilliant he was. Uh, he, well, he also didn't have parents who could qualify for the money side of it. So uh, when he went to college, he didn't pay to go to Columbia. He had a scholarship, full scholarship to Columbia, uh, whereas I paid, I paid the full price. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I didn't, uh, but, but that was fine. I mean, uh, but, but I certainly uh, was lucky enough to have a headmaster in military school 
who took a great interest in me. And when I said, well, where do I go to college? And he said, well, Washington and Lee, you don't want to go to because that's just like Louisville. And, and frankly, you can get into an Ivy League school, but you shouldn't go to Yale because that also is just like where you grew up in Louisville. Uh, very, what I mean by that is very clicky, very, uh, uh, it's who you were, who your family was, all that kind of stuff, which I, so he said, Harvard, I don't think you're going to like being in, uh, in, in Cambridge. Uh, it's, it's, it's just too different from what you want. You should be in New York city and you should go to Columbia. And I said, Columbia, there's an Ivy League school in New York City. He said, yes. <laughs> and and uh, so, and he said, and I went there and he had gone to Connecticut Wesleyan and Yale and, uh, and, um, um, and I think, uh, oh, well, I know in Oxford, okay, in England. So he said that I should go to Columbia and he handed me this, uh, this uh oh this brochure kind of a brochure and um it was uh kind of the foreword was in latin <laughs> which i hadn't taken and and i said boy you think it is i think i'm getting a little deep here and he goes no 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 you're going to love it and of course i absolutely loved it thrived uh just from the moment that i got off the I took a subway. I went to Newark, got off a plane, took a uh, a, a bus into Grand Central Station, okay. uh, and took a subway with my two bags up to 116th and Broadway, right. as New Yorkers call it, Broadway, Broadway, <laughs> Broadway. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I went up to Broadway and uh, and got off, and there were all these. Uh, light uh, blue and white, these are Columbia colors, guys standing, greeting you there, uh, uh, greeting all the people who were coming in as freshmen. And they were astounded that I got off the subway with my bags. It it was kind of a cause celeb. They were were going, whoa, off the subway, what do you live in the city? And I, you know, and I, I had a heavy Southern accent. I had to take actually an English course that was just a course for to help you get your voice trained sure. from sounding just kind of like that. I think I, I sort of sounded like that when I went up to to Columbia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my voice was uh, it was uh, it had a uh, for the want of a better word twang. Okay. Well, you had uh, a because the, you did. Sure, the records I knew were were like Hank Williams singing, why don't you haul off and love me like you used to do? Why don't you haul off and love me like I wanted you to? You always (laughs) treat me like a worn-out shoe. Why don't you haul off and love me like you used to do? Well, I... uh, (laughs) And and, and to think think that I was going to grow up and sing uh, uh, the... Jerome, uh, Jerome Robbins, uh, the West Side Story, uh, uh, and and of course I'm a I'm a great Sondheim buff now, but uh, I I loved the idea of 
you know, you find your way to musicals like the Fantastics uh, that uh, that that ran for 26 years and gave every actor in town a chance to 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 uh, you know, in so many road shows. Oh my God, you you know, I, I don't know. I guess I guess the Fantastics has probably played every high school in the world. And and when I was doing McBird in New York. My little brother starred as Tony in West Side Story, and I went home to see him. And our voices were very similar. So that, like, watching my little brother on stage was really kind of like watching myself. And I got to see a kind of version of me up doing uh, West Side Story instead of, because I was always on the stage. The other, the other night, I, I talked to an old friend of mine who I had a crush on in my freshman year in college. And, She's a, an artist in New York, and she was like, Raj, my God, to hear from you. And I said, Nancy, you're the only person who ever saw me in the play McBird. And she goes, oh, my God, Roger. Wow, what an evening. You know, and I thought to myself, wow, somebody saw it. <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to call Barbara Garson, who, who was the writer of McBird, because I think there was a taping done of it. And I'm pretty sure she would have the taping. I always wanted to see it. But I'm rambling all over the place, which is, no, of course, what I actually, do. Actually, this is this actually is kind of like a segue because I was going to mention your Columbia experience and the fact that you majored in American and British literature and apparently minored in architecture, which uh, is one of the things you are currently doing. Uh, yeah, not so much a minor, I have to tell you. It wasn't <laughs> so much a minor. <laughs> it, uh it was uh, uh, it was my it it was the, uh, the, the I have two loves in my life uh, and not counting the 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 very beautiful and lovely uh, women that have uh, been misguided yep. and married me from time to time. Yeah. Uh, but yep. uh, I hope that uh, and to all of them, I certainly have to tell you that. I was the luckiest guy in the world to meet and uh and to have them um you know i that that they were willing to marry me was was uh <laughs> a great gift to me well That's i guess you sure. were you were quite the catch back then Jocelyn Smith being uh i think your first wife and uh, of course, that's everything all the Dark Shadows fans know. But that's digressing. I'm going to get I'm going to get back yeah. to Columbia, and it was really uh, in Columbia uh, where you started uh, the varsity, where you were in the varsity show, and uh, you met. Yeah, that's the that's the show that that's presented. Uh, it's the each year there's a varsity show, and you audition for it, mm-hmm. and. They, when I got my first starring role in the Varsity Show, it was being directed by uh, Brian De Palma, yes, and uh, who uh, was uh, in the Columbia Players. Uh, there was a a very serious group of students, uh, of which I was one of them, who was extreme. I remember the first time I saw Don in a four-hour play called Edward II, of which I had one scene and brought in the head of Mortimer on a plate. And I couldn't stop laughing because the head of Mortimer was a cabbage. It was a cabbage head that had been had been very badly papier-mâché into what was supposedly the head of Mortimer. 
and I had to present it to Don, my buddy, okay? And, of course, Don was so serious in this play. I mean, this was his life. He was going to be the great Shakespearean actor. And I came in and I said, you're my lord. <laughs> and I just, as soon as I saw his face, I cracked up right in the middle of this very serious uh, oh show. I did this a lot on Dark Shadows as well. I, yes, the Blue are famous. contain myself. The Blue Blues, yeah, I, the I, Blue I Blues are famous. And, I'm all, and, and, and just, and of course, we're going to discuss Dark Shadows in a bit, but I'm, I'm just kind of reminded you were talking about this head uh, thing. And, of course, you know, the when you were playing Charles Delaware Tate and the aged Charles Delaware Tate, and then the the head of the, but uh, it was kind of like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and you had to kind of like that. One of the greatest laughs I ever had. In yeah, fact, it was yeah, one of the yeah. few times that that uh, actually uh, Dan Curtis, who was up in the booth while we were taping, because mm -hmm. uh, he was directing that show, I think. Yeah. And uh, he, he 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 had to stop the show. And but when he stopped it, he was laughing, and he said, <laughs> "He said we got to stop. We got to stop. We got to stop." Roger, stop, stop, man. I mean. I, it's it, it's it. I know it's funny. It is. It's very. But try to get through it here, guys. Come on now. Come on now. Settle down. We're because we're talking uh, about the, the head. The the head. Of yeah. The, the, oh my God! The, it was. It was. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. Again, one of those. Uh, uh, very much the same moment as in Edward Second in college. But uh, and you can imagine the hilarity that would go on on alias Smith and Jones when we were shooting in Utah and uh, we were uh, the uh, the scenery was so incredibly beautiful in Utah. And I had remembered it from all the John Ford Westerns. We would we would be waiting for a posse to start chasing us across this vast, vast uh, tableau of uh, mesas. And uh, I would just be laughing, thinking, wow, what we're, I can't believe this is happening. Because you grow up uh, seeing Red River and remembering uh, that so well she wore a yellow ribbon. Right. And, uh, oh, my God, uh, it was, it, you, it. I felt like just the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. I was oh, like well, Lou well. Gehrig, Lou Gehrig at his last, uh, uh, at, uh, when he, when he said his last goodbyes, uh, to everybody, uh, before passing into the throes of, of the terrible, uh, disease that he had. And yeah. he yes. said to the audience, I, 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 <laughs> he said, I know that you're thinking about what's going to happen to me, but I'm thinking about everything that did. And I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And I have to say, I've felt that a lot of, a lot of times. And, uh, um, so, well, well, you were blessed. There's no doubt about that. You were, you were absolutely blessed. And, and, and it even, it even got to the point where, um, you know, at one point, uh, you were actually accepted uh, to both Columbia and Harvard Law Schools. You were on a law track career, but you decided to pursue a teaching fellowship, uh, and you instructed two classes of freshman right. English. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how that happened. Because mm -hmm. I remember the day I opened up that letter that came, 
when that gave you your your scores on the law boards. Yes, the LSAT. Okay. The LSAT. And 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 I I opened it up and it said that I was in the ninety seventh percentile. Incredible. And I I I looked. I I was with. Um, I think I was walking home with Terrence McNally, who also went to Columbia and later wrote things that go bump in the night. And sure. And he later became. Uh, uh, he had a really illustrious career and uh, was later Edward Albee's boyfriend. And uh, I didn't even have any idea that Terry was at that point. I didn't even know Terry was gay. He was just, uh, uh, you know, no, nobody even thought about stuff like that. But uh, we were walking home and I said, look at this, Terry, can you got, can you believe it? It's 97 percent. And he says, well, you, you're not going to go to law school, are you? And and because he he was going into the theater and he assumed that I was. And I said, uh, well, maybe I should consider it. You know, I I and then I I talked to my uh, you know, you always had this uh, the uh, professor mentors that uh, they were your you know, they kind of guided you in life. Sure. And uh, I had the headmaster in military school, but you were assigned one in an Ivy League school. Right. So I talked to my my uh, I forget what you called him in those days, but guidance uh, counselors it, back then. And, yeah, something like that. My yeah. counselor, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, and and he said, well, you should at least apply because you, that kind of score, you want the opportunity to decide. So I applied to Harvard and I applied to Columbia, and that's really, I think that's all I applied to, just Harvard and Columbia. And um, I I got in Columbia immediately. I got in Harvard on the second go round because they sent me a letter saying that uh, I would have to take a history course. I really hadn't taken enough history for them. And uh, but uh, I think eventually, a few weeks later, I got a letter. I, I think it was just geographical distribution of who was going. Uh, I was still a guy coming from. Uh, a little town in Kentucky, uh, and uh, Louisville was a small town by the standards of the East, and and certainly Bowling Green and going to school in Lebanon. Listen, when I got to Columbia and I looked around the freeze of the library, I mean this. I had, maybe I'd read the Scarlet Letter, okay? Okay. <laughs> and maybe that's about as heavy uh, as anything that I. Oh, I had read a couple of Hemingway. Uh, no, I th- I think I read the sun also rises and uh i was working in a gas station and i think it brought me to tears and the guy at the gas station fired me he said first of all you shouldn't be reading that crap and i can't believe you're you're crying out at the pump when you should be walking wiping off people's windshields get the hell out of here kid you know <laughs> and that was that and my dad my dad had gotten me this job at the dx service station i'll never forget it's the corner of third and and uh armsby in louisville and uh, i uh i oh my god it was a real trauma because i had to face down my dad and he said what do you mean son you were it, it, that guy called me and said you were crying out at the out at the gas pump what the hell were you doing crying and i said well i read this book what the hell are you doing reading a book when you're at work and I so uh, yeah. you, I it, just it, hope it, you would have lived through long working for him. <laughs> oh my God! 
Well, you know, of course, I never worked at this tire business, and yeah. both of my brothers did, yeah. Yeah. but I never did. I, yeah. I was, uh, I was, uh, well, at at Columbia, the show that I did that actually meant more to me than uh, the the. Um, there's an irony now in the varsity show that I did because it was written by Ed Kleban, who went on to write Chorus Line. All of these guys were at Columbian School. Art Garfunkel sang. I, I, he, he was, um, I'm almost sure we auditioned for the Kingsmen and it was an acapella singing group. And somehow in my memory, I think he was in it because I remember one day I got on an elevator after I'd been very sick with that peritonitis infection and I weighed about 85 pounds and I decided to get a suite at the Beverly Wilshire hotel since I could afford it. And I needed somebody to wait on me and, and I, the first kind of first time I felt good enough to go down and uh, have dinner, uh, uh, the elevator opens and there's Art with an old girlfriend of mine from New York named Laurie Bird, Lorene Bird. She no, uh, she was so stoned I, I, you know, she didn't even know who anybody was. But uh, and I, I never really knew or thought or did or had anything to do with drugs. I remember Jack Nicholson once saying to me, how can we, as, as, as friendly as we were in acting class, he would say, Raj, how can I be friends with you? You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't take drugs. You, don't, you know, I mean, you're just, you're so goddamn lily white that, uh, and I, I said, well, Jack, I just, uh, and he said, it's okay, it's okay. But just remember, do that Long John Silver bit. Sometime when you get a chance, do that Long John Silver bit. Because, see, we each had a bit that we did. All actors, well, I, I think, maybe not all actors, but uh, we were in this acting class that was a really, really wonderful class that had so many people who became stars out of it. <laughs> I won't say that I was one of them. I was a TV star, but not movie star. Uh, but there were a number of movie stars that came out of this class. Well, I believe, Jack always I had this. Yeah, I was going to say Jack Nicholson, Jack, Jack did Ellen, this, Burstyn, uh, Ellen Burstyn, Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. all of them. Yeah. Those are your acting classmates. Right. And and uh, the other people would drift in from time to time who were were really, really extraordinary. And uh, um, But uh, Jack did a bit called Guzzler's Chin, and he did it around the campfire immediately when he got Easy Rider. But I never did my. Uh, I had this one time when I was doing a Twilight Zone, oh, and I was to you... come in drunk. Uh, oh, really? I, I, wow. Yeah, it was. I was supposed to age forty years coming yes. from. Yes. Yes. And uh, and it was just silence, and I sort of amble over to her, and uh, and it. It just never worked for me, and I wanted to put in this bit. So I went to the director, and I said, you know, I'd like to fill this. Since I'm a raging alcoholic and supposed to be a bit off it, off my rocker, why don't I do this? And I did it for him, and he said, it's too good, it's too funny, it's too theatrical, and it's going to take everybody away from the show, although I love it. But this show's too structured. This is Twilight Zone. 
And that and, Twilight, uh, Zone, and that Twilight Zone episode that you did, and I'm glad you brought that up, is certainly one of the classics. Uh, the one with Diana Highland, uh, where uh, once again you portrayed the uh, the, the would be husband, and uh, turned out the, no, I was more than the would be husband. I was the husband. I was yeah. I was the I was the lover. And it remember it was called spur of the moment. So okay. she makes a decision on the spur of the moment to marry me, and I looked like uh, the the right guy to marry, but I was the wrong guy. She should have married this other kind of dolt that yeah, she yeah. didn't like at all. But he would have been the better guy to marry because she marries me, and I became this. Uh, well, you don't see any of this. This was kind of backstory, but <clears throat> the only other scene that we had. And when I came through from the other room, I wanted to be saying this. Ready? Go ahead. Ah, Lando, I must see you lay in the moonlight. The white waves begin to descend for our treasure island. And we'd have the treasure, too, if it hadn't been for young Jim Hawkins. What are you doing there, darling? Why are you sitting there on the sofa? You look like you're, you look like you're so sad. Why are you so sad? You know, that's where I came over to her to talk to her. Okay. Right. And uh, the director said, <laughs> Roger, you know, this is, and, and the, the whole crew, everybody loved it because he said, try it once. And I did it in rehearsal. And of course, Dinah Howland was laughing so hard that uh. she said, I'll never, I'll never do this scene. You know. I mean, she was to be so serious, but, but, uh, anyhow, there was my comic side trying to emerge and, and, uh, so it was the only moment that I ever tried to do that, but Roger, I, I wish. Roger, what are your yeah. memories about Rod Serling? Uh, if any, uh, mm. Twilight Zone, did you ever come across him? Did you ever meet him? What was the. Uh, okay, now look, uh, I had uh, I had something occur on uh, the Twilight Zone. It was a very rainy day. Everybody, it was just, you know, a California rain doesn't rain, it pours. Sure. And it was, wh while we did the show, it was just pouring every day. Mm -hmm. And the, when you would open the door to the soundstage, the water would just flood in. And so they had lots of, of big cloths there trying to hold the water back. And there were loads of umbrellas there because people were putting down these giant umbrellas. And then the studio was very good about, uh, you know, not just regular umbrellas, the big umbrellas that golfers, you know, those, right. those wide, big umbrellas. And uh, so people were coming in, they were in raincoats and they had hats on because it was raining. And, and, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and, and the guy sits down in a raincoat next to me, wet. And, uh, I'm trying to do my lines, which I didn't know. Okay. I didn't have them. I didn't have them down perfectly. Right. Um, I would, I use that always as a way to try to be, I thought more real, more, more searching for the lines was more real for me. I, I, I didn't know that this was some technique of Marlon Brando's. I never thought anything about that. Right. I didn't think about method uh, work, although I had, <laughs> Certainly every class and everything I took in New York and all the classes in California were all method classes and sense memory, emotional memory. I mean, you're steeped in that when you're you're studying the method. <laughs> I remember once uh, I, I had this home 
my my really first house. And uh, I had Doug McClure on one side and I had Gene Cagney on the other and had this nice long drive up to it. It was super beautiful. In those days, you could buy a house for $30,000. Yeah. So I put $3,000 down and bought this house with Gene Cagney uh, on one side and Doug McClure, as I say, on the other. And I built a swimming pool and I put up this fence. It was about 10 feet high when you're only allowed six feet. And one day, uh, Jeannie from the other side, Gene Cagney said, I want you to meet my brother. He hates your fence too. <laughs> okay. And there was James Cagney standing next to his sister, Gene Cagney. Right. And he said, you know, kid, uh, this is, um, this is a spike fence. You build this because you, you hate somebody. Now you, I'm not doing a, you know, he, he really, he didn't really talk so much like James Cagney, but, but you could see he was, you, you must uh, hate my sister, Jean, sister Jeannie here. This is no reason for, you know, and uh, I said, no, not at all. I was just, I was just trying to keep everybody away from all the stuff that's going on over here, building the swimming pool. Right. And um, now uh, later that afternoon, he was out in front of the house painting and uh, he was a, a good painter. I came to discover, and I, I had, yes, uh, yes. I had watched the movie White Heat that night, and it was great, great picture where he played a guy named Cody, Cody and uh, his, Cody yeah, yeah, perfect. Hey, good for you. Thank you. And his mother had died, and yep. he was sitting at a table in the big that big, uh, com- uh, whatever it was that the room where they ate. I don't know what you the mess hall. Okay, that's what we called it in military school. And the the guy starts at one end of the table and whispers to the guy next to him and whispers to the guy next to him. And finally, they get to James Cagney, and he oh, just rears back, roars, loses it completely, gets off on top of the table, knocks everybody out, comes to you, you know. That's right. and, and I said, no, I'm studying the method. And, and I said, say, Mr. Cagney, I've just got to ask you something. I saw White Heat last night. And... And that scene where you jumped up on the table, I said, I, I, you know, what were you using? You know, was that a sense memory or emotional memory? Or, mm-hmm. You know, how did you, how did that work? Mm-hmm. And he goes, he walked over slowly to the fence and he said, you know, kid, your mother ever die? And I said, no, my mother's not dead yet. He goes, my mother's dead. Okay. You'll get it. One day your mother will die, and you'll get it. Yep. Yep. And he walked. And he and he walked back. He never never said anything else. You Didn't know? have to. Didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. yes, it was an emotional memory, but he didn't yeah. see it as an emotion. He didn't know anything about or care anything about method. But and he back, certainly but, didn't need it. Yeah. But getting back yeah. to that Twilight Zone thing where you were in the, the rain and everything and uh, you were with the mm-hmm. raincoat and everything, was that the gentleman next to you? Was that Mr. Serling? Uh, or, uh, or, uh, well, now, now, look, it was really an odd thing. I asked him, I asked, I didn't even pay any attention to who it was. Yeah. Okay. I didn't pay any attention, okay? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, would you run the lines with me? And he thought for a minute and he had on, I always thought it was odd, but uh, that he had sunglasses on. But, you know, it's California. Everybody wore sunglasses. He didn't think that much about it. But uh, the uh, he 
he read the lines with me yep. and get my cues. And I didn't, I didn't, the, the, um, he really, uh, said, I'll just read the cue line. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he just read the cue to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the line. Mm-hmm. And when I got through, he said, uh, uh, you don't really know them. <laughs> you know? And that was Sterling. Oh my God! Right. Oh and, my and, God! Uh, now I, but I don't know that he's Rod Sterling. Right. Okay. Right. I have no clue. Okay. Jeez. So I get called out to do the rehearsal, and I come back, and I'm looking for him because I'm thinking I want him to run lunch with me again. Okay. <laughs> and and he had gone, and there was there was another guy sitting in the chair who was an actor, and I knew would not run the line, and I didn't want him to run the lines with me. So I never thought anything about it. And I'm at home the next day and I get a call and I pick up the phone and, and it says, uh, this is, um, um, I can't remember now. Was I at Fox doing the show? I think it was MGM or Fox. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think it was MGM. And the, the operator says, this is MGM calling. <laughs> and I started laughing and I said, MGM? <laughs> Why is MGM calling me? <laughs> and he said, "Just a moment, please." And uh, and he came. The same guy comes back on the line. Okay. And he says, um, uh, "Just thought I'd tell you that I saw the dailies and uh, it was good. I don't know what you did, but uh, you, you obviously uh, got the lines." And uh, <laughs> and I lucky, said, "Lucky." I, yeah. And and I said, you're calling me to tell me. And he said, well, I I I just I saw it and I liked the scene, and I I just wanted you to know because I uh, and I said, well, what do you? How do you watch the dailies? What do you do at at, oh my God. at, uh, at MGM? And he said, uh, I I produce uh, Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I said, oh, that can't be. Rock Serling produced the Twilight Zone. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah. And he, he said, uh, yeah, well, I'll be talking to you. And he you know, hung up, you know. And uh, I I just was like, I thought, well, I've got to really be careful. Because yep. Yep. Um, I, I, later something like that happened to me. Uh, I would no. That was before I was doing McBird one night, that political play that where I played Bobby Kennedy, and um, I remember the actor. Um, he, this actor later went on to produce a, a television show that ran for twelve years, but he was an actor when I knew him, and uh, and he I was knocking on the door because he played the beatnik witch. No, no, he played uh, another one of the witches, a very small part. And uh, he he said, you know, there's a guy out here who I think is Gore Vidal. And he wants to meet you. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. I thought he was putting me on, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he said, the guy's waiting for you. So I got my makeup off and I, and, uh, and I threw on a shirt and then I came outside. And lo and behold, it was Gore Vidal. And he said, uh, uh, I'd like to take you to dinner. I'm doing a show, and I thought you were very good. And uh, 
I, so I said, oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, and uh, I went back in, got my coat and came out. And, and uh, we went uh, to a place called Gallagher's. It was a steakhouse. Sure. Um, I, I think it was Gallagher's. I think they had a place in the village. It was some steakhouse. And he sat down and, and uh, he started telling me about this. First, he was telling me how how good he thought I was in the show and that I really took stage. Da, 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 da. And um, again, you know, you're in show business. You never think about anybody being gay or not gay or whatever. And uh, But I did think, I thought it was kind of, you know, it just seemed really odd to me. But uh, what the hell, he had a show to do. So, And he told me all about the show. And uh, I proceeded to tell him that I thought I was really wrong for this part. That I was, I was not weird and offbeat enough for the way this person was going to be. And he said, but I'm sure you could play it. And I had a buddy of mine named Marco St. John, who was an actor, who was craziest guy that I ever met in my life. And he would later be murdered in his apartment in the village. Oh, and, and I said, this is the perfect part for Marco St. John. You ought to, you ought to meet Marco St. John. <laughs> and guess what? Marco St. John did the part in the play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. I went to see the show. I went to see the show because Marco, of course, called me and said, did you actually mention me? To Gore Vidal, are you are you an idiot, Roger? You know, you you, you should have said I can do that and anything else you've got. You probably but started. I don't know. You probably started a number of few show business careers, and and I'm reminded of that story. I'm reminded of the way we were, where you went, you had gotten the part uh, opposite Streisand. And- well, now 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 let's 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 uh, let me go back. I hadn't, I had really gotten the part. Okay. okay. I was just in, I was close. There was, they hadn't found anybody else. Okay. And Redford didn't want to do it. Okay. He, he had turned it down a number of times. I don't know. uh, I think, uh, I'm sure that, that it was not easy to decide to play opposite Barbara Streisand in anything. Right. And and David Selby had played opposite her and just it was a disaster. Up to Sam. Yeah. Yeah. A total disaster. And and I know that David, you know, uh, I'm not talking out of school or I'm not saying anything. It wasn't that David was bad. It was just hard to be opposite the big star like that. And uh, Jack Nicholson played opposite her and completely botched it and would tell you to this day that it was, you know, he never should have done it. But of course, and so I would, when I would listen to something that I thought that was, you know, there was somebody else better. I just always thought like that. You know, I just, I never thought for a minute. They said, well, who, we were, we were up at Ray Stark's house and, uh, and it was the same tennis court that's in the, in the way we were. And uh, they said, well, uh, who do you who do you think Roger should uh, play uh, the you know? And I said uh, Hubble should be played by one and one person only. And they go who? And I said Robert Redford. And they said um, they just all looked at each other. 
like I was, you know, just a country bumpkin idiot, you know, who would say something like this. And he was just, um, he was just a nice but, guy. That's, that's what it came down. Well, we, we had a great afternoon and I, I never got a call from him again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I don't know that it had anything to do with other than Robert Redford agreed to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And since I uh, thought he was absolutely wonderful in it, and I don't, uh, I don't think that, um, you know, look, um, I don't, when I played, uh, I played, even though I played the, the Paul Newman role in Alias Smith and Jones, right. I thought of it as the Peter Duell role. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, I was replacing Pete Duell. It was a difficult choice. I was really getting ready to do some important things. Clint Eastwood wanted me to do a picture. Uh, I had done, Bob Fosse had had me back to New York to test for a picture that he was doing and, and, and told me that I was, you know, that if he got to do the picture, he was going to, I, I had the role. And <laughs> then he called me about a month later and said, guess what? They don't think I can do anything but a musical. So I can't, he's not going to hire me. Yeah. He said, he said, no, he said, yeah. He said, I, I, I just, I can't use you because they're not going to use me. So, uh, you all kinds of damn things happen to you in a showbiz career. It's, it's, incredible. it's uh, it's incredible. yeah, it, it, it's like, uh, it's like taking the Chisholm trail and you more twists and turns and, uh, you know, it's just that way, but so is life. So is life. I remember going to, uh, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself career wise, but, uh, there was a time when I kind of after Smith and Jones did a bunch of shows and I was, I had a number of buildings in Beverly Hills and, and in Hancock park and, uh, quite a number. And, um, Jacqueline Smith and I were, um, well, she had just, she had put up with me long enough. Okay. She had been very patient and, and, uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't growing up. Okay. I wasn't maturing. And I was at that point, uh, you know, in my thirties and I still hadn't grown up yeah. because show business will do that to you. It'll, it'll extend your childhood for a long, long time. And it wasn't until, wasn't until I really started, uh, I went to, we decided to divorce. I went to Louisville and that was the end of 77, January of 78. Um, I may be wrong on that by a year because I think maybe we divorced in 76, but no, no, it wasn't until 77, uh, the end of 77. And so in the January of 78, I went to Louisville and I bought a building. Um, my little brother had told me about a, a 20, uh, no, it was a 16 story high rise called the Commodore. And, um, maybe it was 15 stories, but, uh, anyway, it was a big building and it had all 1500 square foot apartments, leaded windows. Oh, it was gorgeous and had full parking and had an owner's house. And I had admired this in my childhood, the Commodore and the Dartmouth and the Willow Terrace were the stately high rises of Louisville. 
So I bought the Commodore and uh, I uh, went back to Louisville. I, uh, I mean, I went back to, uh, uh, to California because I had a show to do. And I finished, I think it was the, I think it was the uh, pilot for the Hardy Boys. Okay. And, um, uh, and then I came back and on the plane, uh, I was thinking, what else should I do? I don't want to go to Louisville, just one building. So I went to the so couple of guys who had bought these other two stately high rises called the Dartmouth and the Willow Terrace. And they were 20 stories and, uh, and, and 20 units. And the other was 84 units. And so I'd wind up with a hundred units and they, they had paid for both buildings about a million dollars. And I offered them 2 million and they thought, man, an absolutely crazy California actor, you know, who used to live here because they were younger and didn't even know who anything about me, uh, was coming into town and uh, throwing his money around and going to lose everything. That I just want you to know that I sold the Dartmouth Willow Terrace and Commodore combined to be to be condoed. I sold them for nine million dollars. And that was three years later. And that was your budding career as a real estate manager. And many fans may not. No, no, my real estate career began later. before that. Well, yeah, because first of all, I had to have the money to buy those. Yeah, I Thank mean, without without California was where I really made. I started uh, making. Uh, I I had a lot of successful uh, ventures in in uh, fixing up buildings and right. and uh, uh, but uh, I I stopped doing houses really quickly and went on to apartment buildings mm -hmm. because they were much. Uh, and I never bought anything that was under minimum thirty units. So I knew that I could make money with 30 uh, apartments. I never did fool around with little apartment buildings. So uh, I bought the very first building from the actor Arthur O'Connell. used to be the old man in the Crest commercials and won Academy Award for uh, what with uh, Jimmy Stewart, the, the uh, Ben Gazzara, Jimmy Stewart, and... Uh, okay. and uh, Oh, you know that he played a lawyer, and Ben Gazzara was, was he, the, on trial. I don't know. And I may, uh, I may be wrong. You correct me if I'm wrong. I, he may have been in the Second Hundred Years, which I think was some uh, TV show with Monty Markham. I think the fans are going to kill me. Uh, Monty Markham was his great buddy, and Monty that Markham it, convinced him he should sell this building to me. That's it. And that's Monty it. Markham talked Arthur into selling me this building, okay. and I went down to see this building, I met him because I owned a corner, uh, a corner in Beverly Hills that, and Arthur came up in his, uh, oh, it was a dusty gray blue Rolls Royce and took me down to this building that was a 40 unit building in Hancock Park. Mm -hmm. And I bought that building from him and I bought another building down the street and then another building down the street. Well, and, and it, uh, and finally I got a line of credit with a big bank in California. Well, and that's when I moved to Louisville. Well, it's a small world because yeah, Monty Markham and Arthur O'Connell were in a TV series in the sixties where, um, Monty Markham portrayed the grandfather 
uh, believe it or not, of Arthur O'Connell, who was uh, buried in the in the. You mean grandson? Grand, no, grandson. No, no, he was the grandfather because the plot was is that he was actually the grandfather, and in the 1840s he was buried under some kind of an avalanche, and he was thawed out a hundred years later. Amazing. And that's, that's why amazing. This, I mean, I just the show was called the yeah. Second Hundred Years. So the whole the whole comedy. Revolved. I remember now. I remember that show. Yep. Sure. Yep. Yep. That, yep. that was Monty's big show. That's right. That That's was right. And it yeah. was fun. And, it and was I fun. have to say that without Monty, I don't think Arthur would have sold me the building. Mm. Uh, Monty was convinced that Arthur was of an age where he should get rid of that building. Yeah. And uh, and so there I was, uh, you know, just the. Uh, and and Arthur guest starred on an alias Smith and Jones. Yeah. And he first mentioned me. He said, "Well, I understand you have a lot of real estate." I said, uh, "I said, yeah. I, well, I have a goodly number of buildings." But and he said, uh, "You know, I might sell you a building of mine." And uh, I said, "Sure, I'd love to see it." And and uh, but he was riding the fence, and uh, we all had lunch, uh, Monty, and. Arthur and myself, and Monty convinced Arthur at that launch to sell me the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and and uh, so I never forgot Monty for that. And later, Monty and I did a show or two together. And uh, we always kind of uh, he would always say, "What'd you ever do with that building?" And I have to tell you that I I bought that building for two hundred thousand dollars. Wow, two hundred thousand dollars. I paid. Think about it. Uh, it was just so inexpensive. I, 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 I can't even. T- I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you what I sold that building for. But, but now I'm talking about successes. But there are not successes. There are things that failed. There are times when I lost as much as I'm talking about making. So right. there, there are. Uh, you know, uh, I rem- I'm reminded of. Uh, you know, there's a, one of my favorite poems, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And at one point in it, he says, I will turn back and descend the stairs with a, uh, that, uh, the, the, what did he say? There will be time, time for, uh, decisions and indecisions, which a moment will reverse. Okay. Um, because we, 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 we make decisions that are wrong and indecisions that are wrong and decisions that are wrong and, and we suffer the consequences of them and you have to bounce back. You have to just say, Hey, I screwed up. Okay. It was my fault. And, um, the other day I stumbled on an elevator, an escalator coming out of a movie that I saw that I would recommend to everybody. It's called long shot with uh, Charlize Theron, who's a girl I think is just absolutely gorgeous. And I went to see the movie because Charlize Theron was the lead in it. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I came out feeling young and great. And I jumped on the escalator and I, I remembered that I hadn't paid for my parking. I didn't have my parking ticket stamped. So instead of going down the escalator and running back and going back up the other, I started running back up the escalator. Oh boy! Are you all right? Yeah, and when I got to the top, my foot caught, and my right leg uh, looks like a bear 
I mean, a grizzly bear attacked me. And so I was in the hospital for a couple of days and didn't have anything broken, but I'm, I'm, uh, it's, I'm taking, I've been taking easy the last couple of days. But, you're quite, uh, you're quite a trooper uh, to, to to do this interview with us, uh, just getting out of the hospital. And, oh no, no, listen. Quite a trooper. They, hey, the, you know what I had when I couldn't do the interview before? It turned out I had uh, a little pneumonia, and I got rid of that. I took what, uh, some what, great antibiotic. What the fans don't got know. Rid of it. What the fans don't know about that, and I'll just briefly explain to them, is that uh, we had attempted to do this once before, and. Uh, and Roger actually was, uh, you know, had the pneumonia and he was coughing up and we were saying, Roger, I go, are you sure? Are you sure you want to? Oh, and I, 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 yeah. I, <laughs> and I said, yeah. Rod, make and sure was, your medication's there by you, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but, you absolutely were. And I, I didn't know how my voice, my voice was probably like this. And you, you were saying, I think your voice is really not, you're not ready for this. That's right. And, that's and right. I want yeah, right. You, I no, wasn't. You, you weren't. I wasn't. No, you weren't. And uh, and and I'm. Well, I thank you. I thank you. You're welcome. Truly, Tom. I, I thank you for for uh, being kind enough to remind me of my own shortcomings. We all I, have the shortcomings, only thing. Roger. No, we all have shortcomings. Well, the only thing I'm I miss about being uh, um, um, you know, I, I as you get older, uh, and you think of all the attentive, wonderful wives that I had. The, my last wife was uh, 20 plus years together and mm-hmm. we're still very friendly. And we went That's to good. Cabo for my birthday. That's good. And, uh, and I love the gentleman that she's getting ready to marry. And he was very understanding because each year on my birthday, we go to Cabo. It's been a tradition for a long time. So he didn't, think there was anything wrong with our going to Cabo together. And we had the greatest time in the world. Rode, uh, the, rode the dolphins and, wow. and uh, oh, we had to just, uh, as we always do, and we stay in this old uh, Mexican hacienda. It's kind of a hideaway where, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's, uh, uh, you, you might see, uh, you know, a, a, a a, a real big movie star there hiding away, you know, because mm-hmm. they can go to Cabo and not be bothered with people. It's, it's, uh, there's no air conditioning and it's just, it has this huge, sensational patio, all the colors of those Mexican beautiful colors and, and, uh, and, uh, the room is all the thatched roofs and that's uh, great. So anyway, uh, I'm saying that, I do, but I don't have anyone to tell me not to do something, okay? Well, we wanted, you, we wanted you well. Conscious. We wanted you no. well. Yes, but yeah, yeah. But it's nice to have a, 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 a lady in your life who is, is, um, who is there saying, Roger, don't do that. I agree with you. I no. agree with you. I don't do that. So um, I'm – but also from the standpoint of humanity, we're not going to, you know, I mean, you were you were kind enough and gracious enough to, to do this. And none of us wanted you to do this. So I'm glad that we could do this with you with you now. Uh, and of course, everybody. Wishes, hey, you know, I went to a Dodger game last night. First time I've ever gone to a Dodger game at the time of my life. Yep. Absolutely. The time of my life. Yep. Dodgers won six, three. Uh, and uh, and and I I never, ever realized 
the crack of the bat. I thought it was, I thought the crack of the bat was, was somehow amplified, you know, because it, it sounded like a gun went off when, when a guy hits a home run. That's right. I never, ever experienced anything like, if you wanted to get a hot dog, you could get a steamed hot dog. You could get a barbecued hot dog. You could get a grilled hot dog. Mm-hmm. You could get a blackened hot dog. Yep. Okay. Depends on yep. where it you was, sit. It, was, it depends on where you sit too, because I don't. I think if you're in the ble- if you're in all the way up in the nosebleed area, on top of the stadium, I don't think you're going to hear that crack the way you would if you. Were but you want to you want to know something? Yeah. My buddy, who's a dentist friend of mine, uh-huh. uh, took me, and he's been going since he was a kid, and his father was a dentist. And he's a great guy, and. Uh, he said, we, we, we sat down way up in the bleachers, okay? I don't think, I don't know what we paid for the seats, but it couldn't have been more than $20 or something, I don't know, $15 a piece. And he said, we're going to sit there, but that's not where we're going to sit, okay? So <laughs> we, we watch one inning, and he says, now, follow me. And don't say anything, just follow me. So go down an ele- we go down a series of steps, another series of steps. We go down an elevator. And and we come out finally on the absolutely primo level. Gotcha. Right, right down at the level with the, where where the all the dignitaries are, and, right? And uh, you know the writers and uh, and and also the scouts were. You know, he would point out and say, "That's a scout from from uh, whatever club." And uh, uh, I would. Uh, and we sat in these great seats that that were three hundred and fifty dollars a piece, but they're empty because there are a lot of people that don't buy those. But my friend knew where to how to get down there, okay. and uh, because he knew so well, then so we enjoyed it from uh, from that standpoint. That, uh, and, and that, and that's yeah, explains it. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, go go back uh, since uh, you know since uh, I just want to make sure we have time to get as much as we can in before your before sure. your voice starts going and, and and i'll just take over for a second if you will just to let the just sure. to let the fans know that um you know uh when we were talking about Colum- you know we were talking about columbia and then of course you um uh you made the trip to la originally you went you went to ucla to uh to do the short novel course and teach the classes of freshman English, you made the trip to California with only 13 bucks to your pocket. And so that goes to show the fans, you're a Horatio Alger story as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the bottom line is, is that um, the, uh, the Warner Brothers, uh, you got you started Warner Brothers um, uh, because uh, it was a girl in one of the English classes that you taught and asked you if you would play the part of Bo in the scene from the play The Bus Stop. And that being said. Yeah, you know, there have been, been a lot of stories about this. I'm going to I'm going to. Tell me. Tell me. Correct. I'm going to correct it. Okay. No, okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate you clarifying any point I make. Because... I'm going to really correct because the yeah. real story is a better story. Tell me. Okay. Uh, I had dated a girl in New York who was one of the uh, writers of the show I've Got a Secret. Okay. And then she went on to be a producer, just general kind of producer of various shows at NBC. Right. And Nancy came out to New York to, to, uh, for a visit. Um, and she had made an arrangement. 
I, she had to come out for business because NBC, of course. She, so she was going to be in New in uh, California for uh, several days, and she called me to say that she was coming, and um, that um, now I'm I. I'm not going to tell you that she wasn't uh, a girlfriend, okay? Because the, she, in fact, was. Okay. So uh, she was about 10 years older than I was, and she was a lovely, lovely girl. Um, uh, and so she, she said that when I'm there, there's a director named um, uh, Dick Donner who wants to go out with me. And he will make such a fool of himself since I've been with him before and is very outspoken. And he'll kind of, you know, to incur. Now, I know Dick wasn't married then because I know he lived up off of the Sunset Strip. And I had a mutual friend from college uh, who was very friendly with with him. Uh, They were. Uh, my friend wrote a lot, and uh, so Donna read all this stuff, and I don't know, they were buddies, whatever. So uh, I go out on the set of, of a show called The Tall Man, remember, with uh, Barry Sullivan okay. and Clue Gulliver, okay? And I go with Nancy, and Nancy says, the minute Donna sees you, not you, but he's going to want to impress me, and he'll do something nice. Trust me. So I go out and, you know, she says, this is Roger Davis. He's a friend of mine from New York. He's a young actor. And Donner says, wow, wow, kid, you know, you're perfect type for Warner Brothers. And I said, "Uh, yeah. And he goes, Nancy, this and now he's he's doing exactly what Nancy said he would do. And he says, uh, he says, you, you know, uh, the big stars out of Warner Brothers, they've got Troy Donahue out there now, but the big star was Tab Hunter, and you kind of remind me, you Tab Hunter type. Uh, oh, boy. Hold, hold on a second. Gets on the phone right in front of Nancy. He's, he's it's perfect. And he says, uh, he, he dials the number, and and, uh, uh, and he says, Sully, Sully, I'm, I'm over here on the uh, tall man set, and uh, I've, there's a kid here that I I want you to see. And... Uh, uh, the, trust me, he's a, he's a real tab hunter type and I know you all can use him. And so, uh, he goes, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, and they, and they put his hand over the phone. And he says, can you be over at Warner brothers on Thursday? This is like Monday. Okay. She'd come out on Sunday afternoon. It was Monday. And I said, sure. And he goes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell him. I'll tell him. Can you have a scene? Can you have a scene that you can do? And I said, sure, yeah, of course. And that's when I got the girl in my class to do the scene with me. She wasn't doing the scene. I was, in fact, doing the scene, and I asked her. So this is the way it really occurred. And I went out, met Sally Biano. We walked into his office. I introduced him to the girl who was uh, in, she was in my uh, English class. And uh, one of the classes I taught. And uh, so uh, we got there and Sally is, uh, he actually came off the tennis court. He'd been, we could see out this bay window of his beautiful office onto a tennis court where he had been playing 
by when he first when we first got there, we came and sat in the office, and we could see these two guys playing tennis. One of them with a patch over his eye that turned out to be Solly, and uh, so Solly comes in and and he sits down at his desk and he says, "Yeah, Donna's right. Tab Hunter type. Hmm. Yeah, may have something for you to do." Uh, and he said, uh, uh, "I don't want to see the scene today." And I was happy about that because they would give me a little. He said, uh, uh, I want you to come next Tuesday. We've got a uh, it's it's kind of where we see people. And you'll you don't don't be thrown by the fact there'll be a lot of other people there, a lot of other actors auditioning. But we're going to be looking at you. Oh, I so I came back and it was a proscenium stage and just like a regular theater at, there at Warner Brothers. And I did the scene, and it was a scene from Bus Stop, and I played Bo. Right. And I said, hey, Jerry, wasn't right of me treating you the way I did, dragging you onto the bus. And, and I played him as a very, I played him as me, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I played him as a shy guy from the country. And uh, when, it was, when it was over, and I had on cowboy boots, but I had on regular uh, you know, regular shirt and tie because I didn't know what I was going up for. But I wanted something that would be sort of like a uh, cowboy, okay? And um, I wore a plaid shirt and uh, and, a, and a blazer. And uh, she had on kind of a frilly something that she thought suggested uh, cherry, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I finished the scene... They called me forward to the front of the stage. And I remember the first question they asked was, how tall are you? And I said, six uh, one. And they said, you seem taller. And I said, well, I have cowboy boots on. <laughs> and she's only about, I, I said, how tall are you? And she said, well, I'm under five. So I was like a monster. I probably looked like uh, Clint Walker, you know? No, I don't mean Clint Walker, but I, but I looked, uh, you know, like uh, like uh, 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 Tony Perkins playing with uh, with Natalie Wood. Okay, wow. so I, I was much much taller than she was. And then they said, "Pull your hair back." And I, of course, I had a mound of hair because they they wanted to see my hairline. This is Warner Brothers. How tall you are and what's your hairline? And uh, so he said, uh, uh, he turns around and he says. Everybody can go home. We're going to stop now. We'll pick up next week. Everybody come back. And we go with him over to an office and do the scene. <laughs> and it's, again, one of those rainy days. Mm-hmm. And we did the scene there. And that's where I actually met Robert Altman. I see. Robert Altman was the director of the show. He did later come out to watch me teach the class. Okay. Because he wanted to see what I was like in my own environment, because he wanted to sort of expand the character. Right. But I didn't know that. Okay. So I did the scene, and he was the only one who spoke. I didn't know he was the director, going to be the director. And he said, Who directed this scene? I said, I did. And he said, You want to be a director? And I said, Well, it's, it's, you know, I want to be an actor right now, but I like directing. And he said, I think you're you're you could have a good career at that, uh, but I don't want you to be taking over for me here. I want you to 
listen to what I'm going to tell you. I, I really want you to do this one more time and we're going to go upstairs and I don't want you to change a thing. Okay. Don't change anything. Do it exactly the way you did it. Now, this is a really fine director who knew, you know, that I had captured the essence of me and what he wanted. And so we go up and we go through double doors and in the outside office, there's a lady there that will later become very important in my career. And her name is Dorothy Bailey. And uh, she will later be the secretary of the man who puts me in my first TV movie uh, called the young country. So anyway, I'm jumping forward, but open these double doors and there's this enormous, it, it must've had 20 people and Jack Warner, the same guy on the tennis court is at one end. And at the other end is son-in-law, Bill Orr, who I uh, knew who he was because Bill Orr had been an actor and I noticed him. And then I noticed that he was on listed as producer on all the Warner brothers shows like 77 sunset strip and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, what, what Hawaii and I, and uh, so uh, we do the scene. And again, guess what? He says, uh, pull your hair back. Cause my hair was falling down on my face. It was long. And, and, and he, you know, he's seen my hair. Like Can you imagine any Jack Warner's like, pull your hair back. And he says, uh, okay, great type. And he looked at Bill Orr and he said, you know, like, what do you think? And Bill Orr nods. And, uh, and he said, uh, uh, take him down to casting and, uh, see miles. And, um, and, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get him, let's get him here. Good job, Bob. And he turned it to, uh, uh, Robert Altman, you know, cause Robert Altman was then just a TV director. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he said, good job, Bob. And, uh, we went downstairs and, uh, and I met with Miles Gilbert and, uh, I, um, he, uh, said, uh, you know, told me about the, what the contract was. Altman went on and Altman said he would be seeing me in a, in a day or two. And, uh, that's when he just, uh, he called me. I told him where I was at UCLA and he came in the back of the classroom. Okay. Now, at this point, I only know that I'm going under contract to Warner Brothers. Ready? Mm -hmm. I'm just under contract. I don't know anything about the show. Right. All right? Right. And Miles Gilbert says, we pay uh, $650 a week. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, when they told me this, Tom, I about felt I about, like I gagged. $650 a week. I'd come out with $13, $13 in my pocket three months before yeah. driving a car, delivering a car, a Nash Rambler convertible. And I delivered it to Phoenix and then took a Greyhound bus in from Phoenix to downtown LA. Wow. And then I stayed in the apartment of Ed Kleban, who I told you would go on later to write Chorus Line, mm -hmm. and whose parents I didn't know owned Columbia Records. Okay. okay? okay. But, uh, a few days later, he told me I had to leave, and uh, huh. and then I went to UCLA, and and I and I lived in a uh, a, a fraternity house in a okay. in a room in a fraternity house. Right. So uh, I, so Altman comes to the class a few days later, 
and he's watching in the back of the classroom. He had a little goatee, and uh, he's sort of holding it and fooling with it. And, and I just I talked to class, and when I finished, he came up and he said, "Huh, man, you are an actor." And, and I said, "Really? Yeah." I put my shoe up on the on the on the thing uh, on the podium, and I told the kids, "I want you to write a." a paragraph with a beginning, middle, and an end. And I want you to write about these shoes. I don't care what you write. You can write whom you think made the shoes, what you think the person's like who wears these shoes, what you think of these shoes, of anything, I don't care, as long as it has a beginning, middle, and an end. Right. And he said, you seem to really know your stuff with this, uh, with, uh, with the teaching and, and literature. And then I told him, you know, he hadn't asked me anything about where I went school and uh so we went we we took a walk downstairs and he said i need to get to my car because i need to go but i want to tell you that you um i think you're going to be a movie star and you've got the part and you're going to play uh the young kid from the country in a show called the gallant men and we're going to be shooting next week the pilot so you've got to get to warner brothers tomorrow and get suited up and this is the person you'll call Private and Roger Gibson. Me, uh, Private Roger Gibson. Yeah. Your character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They named him Roger. That wasn't his name. My name was Roger. So called right. <laughs> it Roger Gibson. Yeah. And and there I was, you know. And the only, the absolute only line I had in this show was was just uh, Apache One, Apache Two, and Don't Forget Me in Your Column. It was a story about the the uh, the famous famous writer that went to world war ii uh can't think of his name right now and one guy played that uh, ernie Pyle. okay, okay yeah. it was the story of ernie Pyle, and ernie Pyle was what kind of held the series together and we landed at salerno and we were fighting uh the italian campaign and i played the young kid from uh, who was the radio operator and uh they we each had i went about seven shows because there's seven people and I was the very last person to get my own show, and uh, and it's where I could guest star, because in the pilot, I mean it. All I said was, "Don't forget me in your column, Mr. Conley." Okay, mm-hmm. one line, and I had to show that I was worthy of doing the show, the with its one line. And uh, I remember Altman coming up afterwards, and he said, "I really liked the line. Wish you hadn't." tilted your helmet back when you said it Uh, okay uh and he said but it's okay it's okay i understand and uh but and when i saw it i wished i hadn't put my helmet back (laughs) because it it was also like look at me you know (laughs) but it worked with the line don't forget me in your column mr Conley." it worked with the line so it was okay but altman knew that the reason i put it back was to 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 enhance my presence. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and for uh, that, that, you got six hundred fifty a week, and uh, that's and that's incredible. It's an, uh, once again an incredible success story. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Uh, yeah. If, if that's okay with you, and uh, you know, and you're and you, you know, think just, there's still anybody listening? There've got to be. You've got to play this. It's uh, yeah, gonna, I mean, if there's any. You know, we're going to edit. We're going to edit. 
uh, obviously, because, okay. uh, you know, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we're editing um, after. I have to take a very quick bathroom break. Uh, I want to give you a chance to rest your voice, and I'll be back in one minute. Okay? Could you hold on? Okay. Now? Hold right. on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Right. Thanks. Well, look at this, folks. If you're fans, here we are alone waiting for Tom to come back from the bathroom. So I hope you're still listening because, good Lord, uh, you know, you got to have Roger overload by now. <laughs> I can't. I, uh, I, I wouldn't listen to me this long. And, uh, but, but I thank you if you're still there. Thank you. Thank you very much because uh, without people like yourselves who care about uh, uh, old guys like me, uh, who I like to not think of myself as an old guy. I, but, uh, you know, um, even now when someone says, gee, you, you look 20 years younger. Oh my God. I always say you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, here's Tom. I think he's back. Tom. No, he's not back. So we're, we're still talking now. I don't know if he's turned off Tom. That was Tom blowing his nose. <laughs> oh, my. I'm berserk as always. So, listen, if you ever, if there's ever another Dark Shadows Festival, I hope you guys come. Okay, I am back. Are you there? Now, did you, was the mic open while you left? Uh, it was, but, you know, we're going to be editing. So, you don't have No, to no, no, but I talked, I talked to everybody while you left. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> You're going to hear it. You'll hear it. Okay. You know? Okay. That's, that's great. I appreciate yeah, that. I appreciate not? you doing that. No, no, I actually, I appreciate you doing that. Why not? It makes an interesting interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keith, take note. Uh, Keith and, uh, Keith is on vacation and wasn't able to make this, but he does send his regards. And, uh, and anyway. Well, I, uh, yeah, cause he's over in London, right? That's correct. He's actually in Spain right now uh and he's coming oh, on back a vacation sure. that's correct and he's coming back momentarily uh if he's not back already uh but um but in but in but in any event uh so we're going to continue with this slate part two interview with roger davis so anyway roger well now is 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 part two going to be as long as part one because we hope not i'm, I'm going to we I'm going to fade. Soon. I know exactly. That's exactly <clears throat> what I was trying to direct you, uh, because I want to get ahead now to some some of the other stuff uh, that you that you were doing, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna skip a couple of things if that's okay with you. But we're gonna but sure. we're gonna get on to now. Uh, we're we're going ahead a few years, everybody. Um, and by the way, uh, for anybody who's interested, there is uh, Roger's website, RogerDavisOnline.com. That's one word. RogerDavisOnline.com is an excellent uh, website portraying Roger's uh, entire uh, entire life, his works, his filmography, his TV stuff, and uh, I think it's an excellent reference source for uh, those people who are really interested in the multivariate facets that uh, he has that he has accomplished. Only a small portion of which can unfortunately be done here, uh, but to get but to get. Well, back, thank you for that, Tom. Okay, I want to thank you for that. There is, I, I owe that website to uh, a fellow who is, in fact, uh, my cousin. 
and he lives in in uh, Dallas, oh, and uh, he has uh, that whole website is the the uh, is the creation of uh, of um, the uh, of a of a fellow who who really really does care uh, about uh, well it's it's kind of it's it's kind of more than than that but I, but I want you to to uh see um and and hear uh the um a, a rather I mean it's it's remarkable it's the best it's the best absolute uh um it, it's a website that that I I can never uh, come up with something uh, the way he's uh, organized it and and uh, well, he's a website done. designer. He did a great job with it, and uh, it's one of the and uh, it's certainly one of my reference sources for it for you. And uh, it made my job easier certainly. Um, so there's that there for once again for all the fans. It's RogerDavisOnline dot com. We're going to go now to uh, in 1966, and uh, you talked uh, you talked a little bit about McBird, which uh, was. Was a, a political satire where you portrayed Bobby, uh, a character patterned after Bobby Kennedy, uh, and uh, you did that for love, a hundred dollars a week, and uh, you co-starred with Stacey Keach. Uh, you were in Boston, later in New York. By, City. by the way, before you go any farther, go ahead. I, you know we're neglecting to say my cousin's name, Mike Shannon. Well, why don't you? Say and that? and I want, yeah, and I certainly want it said. I don't know, I. I'm I'm thinking. Gosh, I I've, I've got to uh, really. I I Mike uh, has done a, a great deal for me, and and is is a genuinely fine person. And uh, give him a so what's, how, it's, what's his last it's name? It's sort again? of like Mike Shannon presents. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you you must you you uh, I I certainly owe that website to to Mike. Okay. We will mention it. Absolutely. Well, you're going and to. I, and, I, and I and I and I personally want to to thank him here in front of uh, an, an audience of people who who care about these things as he does. Okay. All right. Onward. Okay. So that being said, um, you you then actually got into the, your voiceover career, and a lot of people may may really not, and I'm sure that you may remember a lot of commercials. Roger worked very hard at that career, and it's something after my own heart because I'm doing a little dabbling in voiceovers uh, at this particular point. Uh, and um, you uh, you you did it the old-fashioned way back in the days when studios. Uh, when you went to the when you went to the uh, taping session, it is not done that way at all anymore. Uh, could you just say something a hundred words or less about your voiceover career? Sure, I I did a voiceover yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was a two minute voiceover for a big developer in Telluride, Colorado. They're doing a thirty million dollar project. Which is big for Telluride, and uh, building like seventy homes, and they sent me the uh, they they sent me the the finished uh, commercial or presentation for a ballot initiative which they're trying to get voted through so they can build the seventy homes, and 
they had heard me do a long one like this for uh, Aspen, uh, a company in Aspen, uh, quite a number of years back. And uh, so they sent me everything was uh, all of the graphics and the, the spot was completely put together. And they wanted me to do the voiceover and the music score. So I, I did all of it. Unfortunately, I can't, I, I don't think I can play it for you here. Okay, that's fine. So you would actually hear it, but I can assure you that uh, it's, uh, it, you know, when I think about it, um, I, you work digitally now and it's a lot easier. That's right. It's so easy. It's so, you can bring, you can tighten and edit the things you do. It's wonderful. I can do in two hours in the studio what would have taken uh, eight hours uh, years ago. Uh, and, and maybe even more than that, because literally when you want every, everything is coming up and you're seeing it digitally in front of you in, in waves of your voice. So when your voice expands bigger, it's a wider wave. And when you get smaller, it's a smaller wave. That's right. And right. Da, 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 da. so, uh, it, it's wonderful to work in the atmosphere of the, of all of the things that have happened electronically to make the the world of of acting and making movies and cgi and all the things that we're because in dark shadows you know we worked on blue screen and it was ridiculous was, you, you know you you're uh you don't have but it's still hard work even today with and and i get bombarded and i don't like cgi movies so much i i i really enjoy seeing old-fashioned movies and sure. that's why i'm telling you that Long shot is a really fun movie to go see, folks. So anyway, uh, the when I started out, um, I was doing the play McBird, same deal, and I had the Bobby Kennedy voice. So they'd say, "Yeah, I I, I never never talked any other way but that." And uh, so I was always doing, and Bobby was more more like uh, he was more here. He was more here, and his voice was was different from Jack's. It was more rich and more. Uh, it, there was a slight difference, mm -hmm. uh, a, a very big difference, really. Mm -hmm. So I got asked to do the uh, the. Remember the old Anison commercial where they'd say Anison has more than one strong pain pain reliever that doctors recommend most. Right. Uh, it was on for years. I mean, like thirty five, forty years, and uh, so. They asked me to do that in the Kennedy voice. So I go up, my, I've never done a voiceover in my life. I, so I go inside the booth. There are about 10 people behind the glass at the, uh, at the control panel. And uh, I say, Anison has a more of the one strong of pain reliever the doctors recommend. And they stop me, okay? And they're all talking. And it's like a cacophony of sounds with no Jesus Christ you know and whatever yeah and this New York voice says uh hey uh get uh we're gonna get sued so uh why don't you try to do uh uh I don't know man uh look uh, before we fire why don't you do one in your own voice mm -hmm. so I said okay and and I said Anison has more of the one strong pain reliever that doctors recommend most. And I think I did it really kind of like this. Anison has more of the one strong pain reliever 
that doctors recommend most. Something's softer. I was younger, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, so now there's big silence again. And the guy comes back on, uh, hey, uh, you know, you sound a lot like Henry Fonda. Uh, you, you, could you sound more like Henry Fonda? But, but don't imitate him. Just, uh, just sound more like Henry Fonda. And uh, so it went on the air sounding like this. Ready? Anison has more of the one strong pain reliever that doctors recommend most for pain and its tension. Hey, you try Anison. Now, now my voice is deeper now, so I can't so quite I can get still hear temper it, but I can of the still hear it. I can still hear it. But a, but a voiceover career was born, and yeah. the very next spot I did was the perfect spot for my voice because I said uh, it was uh, the same people as did the Anison had another spot they wanted me to do. And this is how it works. A producer casting people like you, and they put you on another spot. So I went back and I said, uh, listen hard, and maybe you can hear the tea kettle whistling. Up here in Sweet Bay, Savage Cove, Tea Harbor, you know, this is tea country. And up here, a man drinks more tea than coffee, so it's got to taste just so. It's got to roll across your tongue frank and honest, hot as you can take it. You know, it's this one thing you do in your lifetime. Boy, you ought to taste what Canada calls tea, red rose. Now, what a great that memory. was the second you still, commercial. You still remember those scripts. What a great memory from all those Oh, years. man. And I swear to you, the same people, three days later, called me in for a huge campaign for legs pantyhose. <laughs> okay? And I said, new legs, one size fits all pantyhose. For the legs you used to have and oh, the ones you've just developed. And suddenly, I, I, I was an actor doing voiceovers. It was early on, and I wasn't an announcer. I was an actor. And, right. and suddenly, I'm just doing everything. I mean everything. I'm doing uh, Alka-Seltzer and, and cars and uh, just uh, I'm so, uh, I'm, so glad, I'm so glad that when you tell me about the Speedy Anderson commercial, the, the Anderson, I was so afraid you were going to tell me you did Speedy Anderson, you know. That that guy that you, you used to talk in the falsetto voice about. You know, no, no. Thank yeah, God right. you no, didn't no. do that. Thank God yeah. you didn't do that. No. Um, but but yeah, uh, I, I did I did an Alka-Seltzer commercial, and remember that that was Speedy, right? It was Alka-Seltzer. It was Alka-Seltzer? Oh, excuse me. I thought it was Speedy yeah. Anderson. Oh, okay, okay. No, no. For, no, no, you did, no you I did the voiceover. Yeah. I did the voiceover to Speedy. Oh, you and, did? Uh, so that, not Speedy, though. Not Speedy. Oh, no. Speedy was a regular guy. Right, I was right, the, right. The, the, the announced voice on it. Oh, you were the announcer. And, uh, okay, okay. You were the yeah, announcer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I said, new, new Alka-Seltzer plus three. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. okay? And and and, 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 and was, yeah, I would always. You were essentially hmm? you were essentially picking up on what they want today, which is a natural talk, which is you know years ago they wanted the radio announcer, and here now the news, and you know that was many oh, years ago. Yes. But, 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 all but, of but my all that. of my you were new. yes, you were new. The guys that the big guys uh, were guys who sounded like this. Um, I'll try to, I'll give you Anison the way they would do it. Ready? Yeah, yeah go ahead. 
Anison has more of the one strong pain reliever that doctors recommend most. For pain and its tension, you try Anison. Yeah, you see the difference. See the difference. Okay. The authoritative. Yeah, I mean, the authoritative. Yeah, they, it, was, they, it was crazy. And they but, still want. But them. later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would get, I would get movies like. Uh, uh, trailers. Trying to say, but, but no, uh, the yeah trailers. I did the trailers for all kinds of movies. I'm thinking, uh, Pen Pe- Sam Peck and Paul. Here's this was this was a kind of typical commercial that I would do for movies. Sam Peckinpah brings you Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Hey, all they had was time. But time was running out. <laughs> okay? That's great. That's great. That's great. That's it was, great. Uh, our, and, 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 and then on the other side of the coin, I would do, it was Boston, and it was snowing, and they were in love. Love story. Uh, you did the, you did the trailer for Love Story? Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, oh, loads and loads of of yeah. movies. Big. Yeah. The the last big campaign where I made a hundred grand was uh, what ten years ago, Pearl Harbor. Okay, okay, yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah, and it, and it uh, and I and it was very typical. I would do uh, December seventh, nineteen forty two, Pearl Harbor. See. Just a natural voice, Understand. simple, you know, it, not making anything out of it. It was just a guy who would go to war. Okay. And the natural voice. December seven. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, now I'm going to do one more time and just hear the deal. Yeah. December seven, 1942, Pearl Harbor. You know, see, it was, it was a memory. Yeah. You know. And you're evoking it. And uh, you're evoking, yeah, it. you're living it very evocative, very, kind of yes. it, not the exactly. big, heavy, exactly. you know. Uh, exactly. and exactly. and then, of course, you'd see planes dive bombing, da, 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 you know, and stuff blowing up, and all the and all the old footage of the of the right. of the terrible, right. uh, that, that we've seen a jillion times of Pearl Harbor. Well, right, uh, but it, Pearl Harbor yeah. turned out to be a great movie, mm-hmm. and and yeah. remember, that's what gets you more work. If the movie becomes very popular and you do the voice to it, then you get other stuff. It's also, See what by I mean? the way, the trailers are a very close shop. You know, there are only a few, you know, they always rely on the same people for the for the trailers. And uh, Oh, there was one guy. Remember the guy who used to do In a World? I can't think of his name. Don something or other. The, and he I was, know who you're talking about. He was the king of voiceovers, and he passed away recently, um, a few yes, years ago. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. he did a voice. I'm gonna. I'm a, because I did impressions. I'll show you what Don sounded like. Ready? Yep. In a world, in a world, yeah. That was his favorite expression. Oh. In a world, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it would always start in a world of trouble. In a world of trouble. It was just such a such a big bullshit, you know. But it was great. Everybody loved it, <laughs> and he did all kinds of movies with it. But uh, so uh, I I've I've had a great time with it all. I've had a great time with everything. I look back and I think, um, you know, I had the most. I really had 
four incredible women who were crazy enough to marry me. Don LaFontaine, <laughs> by the way. Don LaFontaine. I'm sorry. That Don right. LaFontaine. That's right. I'm already talking about, about recapping my life, and I have to say that um, um, I met Jacqueline Smith in, in an elevator. Yes. And Don Briscoe, Don Briscoe was trying to get a date with her. But he was the next person to go in to be called in to be read for the commercial. So I had an extra few minutes with her and began talking to her. And uh, when Don came back out, when Don came back out, she was already going to go have, uh, um, you know, um, uh, coffee with me. Not, you know, we were going to sit down and, and have tea in the afternoon and and to talk more. But uh, uh, unfortunately, Don had to go in and do the commercial. So I had, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes there to, to talk. And uh, you got the girl. we had a lot in common. We had a lot in common because we had both come from the South and yeah. we had come, but you know, Don would have had a lot in common with her too. I don't sure, know. Sure. She, of course, she, of course, told me she would never have been attracted to Don. Well, there you go. It always made you always made you feel good, didn't it? I would think so. I would think so. I'm going to now get to the fans' favorite topics from the McBird show. I think Dan Curtis noticed you for Dark Shadows. Can you tell us just a bit about that? Yeah, Don. I mean, now leaving Dan. Yeah, Don. That was a slip. Okay, Dan. Uh, I got this call to my agent's office yep. and my agent then was a guy named Stark Hesseltine and he was a, the biggest of the big. He had started Redford, uh, uh, McQueen, uh, uh, George Papard and oh man, I was in great company boy. And, uh, he called me and he said, I don't think you should do this. This is how he talked. He goes, I don't think you should do this but I'm going to send you over to read for a soap opera. <laughs> I don't think you should do it. Famous list. You have no business on a soap opera. So, Famous but he sent me words. over. Famous last words. Right. And yeah. yes, because I met Dan Curtis and it was a guy who was very hard to say no to. Yep. And he was a great guy and we hit it off like, I cannot tell you. We were buddies from the moment we began talking. I was I was his cup of tea and he was mine. And uh we and he he said uh, you know I called you here to read you but um I don't care anything about that. I know you can do it. You want to do it? And how could you say no? You know? I said sure. He said well, you got to come over and put some some crap on camera. It's you know you you it's the typical stuff. You you'll understand it, okay? And you'll get the sides. They'll send them to you, and everybody's you know. And uh, I'll see you over there. And uh, so uh, it was just so casual. It was so casual. And I went. Uh, I remember call, calling up Stark, and I said, uh, "I'm gonna put some stuff on camera for it." And he goes, "Oh, Roger." I told you, uh, 
I make those decisions. <laughs> and I said, I said, Stark, I, you know, it's just on, it's just to do the thing on camera. It's not, you know, and um, he said, oh, all right. But he goes, but don't you, don't you commit to anything? And I said, okay. I, I, I just told him that I would do the, you know, and, but he had, Dan had said to me, you want to do it or not? You know, and I said, well, sounds fine. You know, and, and he said, you're going to be able to do your show. You're going to be able to do anything you want. Uh, we're, it's, it's just like, you're not going to be the vampire, you, you, you know, and, and it'll all work out great. See, so I, I, I was later to tell that to Stark, okay, who was saying, Roger, you're up for this show, that show, da 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 da. da. You know, uh, you've got a singing audition next week for da 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 da. You know, and uh, um, because Stark wanted me to do a big musical, he he thought that I should do. Uh, they were uh, this was before Chicago was on the uh, with you know, and they were in very early talks about. Chicago, and that was a great part. Of course, it would have been very, very hard for me to get it because I assure you that uh, who was the guy who was on NYPD Blue? I mean, he was huge star, Jer- Jerry Orbach. Okay. Hell, I'd seen Jerry Orbach doing the lead in the Fantastics. To get a lead where you were going to go, you know, man, when Jerry Orbach came out in the Fantastics, walked onto the stage and said, you wonder how these things begin. Well, this begins with a season. It begins with the place where woodchucks woo and leaves wax green and vines and twilight lovers. Try to see it. Not with your eyes. Oh, God, he was just, he was mesmerizing. Absolutely mesmerizing. And then he starts saying, oh, try to remember the kind of September when dreams were kept beside your pillow. Wasn't that fantastic? Try to remember the kind of, oh my God, it would just, yeah. you know, and I was thinking, I'm up against Jerry Orbach. Yeah. Oh, well, Jerry Orbach got Chicago right. and deservedly so. Right. Man, he was, he was terrific. And, you know, I might've developed into that, but things took a different turn. I'm Dark glad, shadows. Glad for us that you did. Glad for us that you did because uh, you came in at the right place at the right time. I think uh, you know, starting uh, well, you started out Elephant Jeff Clark, uh, and uh, well, it was to be what I didn't know it was to be the love interest to Victoria Winters, who was the big star of the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know anything. I never watched the show, right? And I hadn't, I hadn't a clue. Okay, mm-hmm. and. Um, the, you know, I did that first scene, you know, yep. and, uh, um, the, I was going to be the young lawyer and, but what I really was, was it was star-crossed lovers. Yeah. We were to be star-crossed lovers. And I've, I've always wondered why, um, that the, I don't know, maybe it didn't mean so much to the fans, but. But uh, for a very long period of time, uh, the ratings are very high, and, and we did ones, you know, they developed the characters and developed uh, uh, Alexandra and the relationship 
between right. the two of us. And, right. And uh, and then suddenly I had to die. And and uh, I remember Dan said, "You're going to die tomorrow." Okay. This was on the show we were going to make a show, and I said, "I'm going to die." What's what do you mean I'm going to die? And he goes, "Don't worry about it. You're going to come back to life the next day." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I said. Really? And he, I said, but what about Victoria Winters? He says, don't worry. She's going to be there. She's going to answer the door. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and and then I thought, oh, this is really, this is really wonderful because one of my favorite movies was God is my co-pilot. I think that was the name of it. Uh, Spencer Tracy. Our, Spencer Tracy. Yeah. Spencer Tracy. Yep, and, and, uh, and, uh, oh, Van Johnson. Okay. Who I did a lot of shows with Van Johnson. I'm got to tell you, Van Johnson was uh, what an actor, what a natural. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, you know, I'm going to get to to do something. Well, it wasn't quite as it really wasn't uh, that that story, but it was uh, the it was uh, not that we hadn't seen it before, <laughs> but you know, it was like I'm Jeff Clark, you know, and she comes to the door and she says. Peter, Peter, and I go, who's Peter? You know, I'm sorry. My name's Jeff Clark. I'm I'm, I'm Jeff Clark. No, I didn't even say it like that. I'm not saying it right. I apologize to the fans. Sorry, fans. I'm not giving the right delivery. But, uh, well, and I anyway. apologize also to the fans because you actually started out as Peter Bradford in 1795, and then you came back as Jeff, and then you came back as Jeff Clark, wandering along. The That's front. correct. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, always, I was actually, yeah. yeah. Victoria and I were both hanged. Yeah. I yep. was hanged first. Yep. And then she was hanged. And uh, and did you and know that David? Was, did you know that David Grow? By the way, there's a trivia. All the dark shadows friends all trivia. That David Grow was in that hanging party. David Grove, who later went on to become Rhoda's husband in the Rhoda TV series and stuff like that. Let me just tell you something. I never, I can tell you that I didn't know any, I didn't pay attention to anything but my lines and, and Vicky. I see. I see. Okay. I see. I, I was, um, as, oh man, uh, I was really into the part at that point. Yep. And I was really into Victoria Winters. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And I'm not sure that in my soul, in my mind's eye, probably uh, enamored, greatly enamored by Alexandra, who I thought was just absolutely wonderful. And uh, and um, and and we had some very nice times walk walking home to where. Up, uh, going, taking a ride up in the car, and she'd get out, and she had this big mansion that she was going on with uh, with uh, her uh, fellow she was going to marry. I remember once uh, we were at a rehearsal uh, the morning of the show, and Joel Crothers right. was somebody said, you know, uh, Alexandra is going to marry Philip Isles of uh, the Lehman brother fortune or some damn thing. I don't know. And, and I remember the, to show you how funny Joel Crothers was. He says, Oh yeah. They, you know, their name used to be Ickleheimer and, and they changed it to Isles. It, it, you know, Philip Ickleheimer, 
Philip Isles. And, and, and I said, and everybody said, what's wrong with that? And, and he turned and he said, well, personally, I would have changed to Philip. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to ask you. One of the funniest. I'm going to ask yeah. you very quickly. Uh, you know your impressions, but but I do want to. I think personally, my the funniest scene I ever saw was the the, the night you were going to get married to Vicky Winters, and you wound up digging somebody's grave. Uh, there you are, the groom, the night of the wedding, and you wind up digging somebody's grave. And that that, that you wouldn't find on any other soap opera, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, but anyway, I want I, I, so so yeah, that was that was that was what Dark Shadows was. Yep. It was uh, it was just the imagination of um, and the creativity of the writers and Dan and uh, we just uh, it, it I loved the 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 eighteenth century story yes. in Dark Shadows it was really something we, it was really something we all did how is it uh, how is it uh, and obviously the obvious question is uh, how uh, how was it working with Jonathan Brick? Jonathan, you know, I, I I didn't work a lot with Jonathan, but everybody worked with Jonathan. You you had to work with Jonathan. Uh, I had, uh, of course, Jonathan had this this huge burden of all these lines, and he, uh, as much as uh, I, he didn't like cutting up. He didn't like uh, my uh, my laissez-faire attitude yeah. uh, about the work. I was much more looser, and 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 that that disturbed uh, Jonathan a lot. Though though we, uh, I was a great fan of Jonathan's. I thought he was just uh, remarkable in in a role that was. Um, uh, uh, look, we we later did. I was lucky enough to be able to be kind of the hero of the of Absolutely. the Absolutely. of the Dark Shadows. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that was the hero because I don't know how many people liked me uh, doing away with Barnabas. But uh, uh, I I remember that scene very well, where in this great voice he had, uh, <laughs> uh, he gets me. He clock clock and i'm up doing the rafters trying to shoot him with a uh with a uh, uh, one of the, yeah it was yeah was cross yeah. and uh uh and he brings me down the stairs mesmerized and he says every wedding needs a witness clock and you shall be witness to my oh my god and yeah, yeah. but he didn't have to make any effort, and he has hands twice the size of a normal person's hands, and he was he was that role, and uh, we had this scene where Willie uh, is, um, um, oh I I had to put this uh, this spear into his back, right, and um, and I had to shove it up into his back and Dan wanted me to really lift him. And on the side, Dan told me he's going to really hate you for this, Roger. Okay. But I want, if you can lift him up, 
I want you to lift him up. I want you to push his back up so that when that, that, that the, the front of this arrow flies out of him, that he really looks like he's taking it in the back all the way through him. And it will be, you know, in man, I did it. Okay. I pushed, I shoved with all my, my lifted up under and, uh, and, and I did everything that Dan had told me to do. Right. And God damn, the blood spurted and the blow. And, but he didn't want you to tell him. Well, no, 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 no. It was, I, of course, I said nothing to Jonathan. Right, right. I, you and, and when I, I looked over at Dan, and Dan was like, he took his, his you know how you blow a kiss? <laughs> and, and he, it was, a, he took two hands and blew me a kiss, you know? Oh my God. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and Jonathan turned around after that scene and looked me dead in the eye and he said, you did not have to push me so goddamn hard, <laughs> you know? Oh, mad. He was madder than poor, I've ever seen. Yeah, and he said, uh, yeah. uh, and I remember he said, you didn't have to push me so goddamn hard. And, uh, you almost, uh, you almost and, got Barnabas attacking you right there. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I didn't say Dan told me to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I said, Jesus, Jonathan, come on. And it's going to look great. You know, I was always like that. And, you know, he and he would go, oh, not bother talking to him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I even talk to Roger? Why do I even, you know? By, by so, the way, uh, on, on Dark Shadows, you were a vampire once in the Dirk Wilkins character. Oh, I and, loved it! And, I loved it. And you got to bite Joan Bennett, which is <laughs> man. I, and and I I got a little carried away with my uh, my enthusiasm for doing it, and when I when I grabbed Joan and she had this little flask and she would always take a little nip or two here and there. <laughs> and, uh, she, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was just, it wasn't, she just wasn't a drunk or anything. No, she just just... kept it, but maybe for her voice or whatever. And, sure. and, uh, and, but I remember that, that, um, uh, she literally did fall back on the floor. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, because I surprised her. Uh, I told her that I was going to grab her. Yeah. And uh, I don't think she ever forgave me for that one. Oh, Boy. My oh, my God. Because uh, the flask fell out and went across the floor. But nonetheless, was... I recall a scene at one of the Dark Shadows conventions, which I never forgot. And uh, she was already in a wheelchair. And uh, I think it was during the early 80s. And I was at that convention. And uh, they were having a problem. And you were on the podium. I don't know if you're going to remember this, but you were on the podium. You were sitting down already. And, uh, you know, and she came. They wheeled her in with her husband at the time. And uh, you got up and you lifted her onto the stage. Did I? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I remember that. I remember that. That was very gracious of you. Uh, and it was a very, very poignant well, she was she very she, poignant, uh, very poignant moment. Well, wow, thank you. I've actually forgotten that moment. I I didn't uh, 
Because you did it spontaneously. You did it spontaneously. This was complete. Yeah, she was. uh, uh, I'm I'm sure that there were uh, people have sent me some very terrible things that have been said about me by uh, Catherine Lay Scott. Yet when I see Catherine Lay Scott, she's so nice to me and so friendly and and so just really personable and uh mm-hmm. and uh I I did once say to her because you know me I'm going to say it I'm going to say what I think right I said if you like me so much why do you always say such terrible things in your books she goes oh you think they're terrible I don't I don't really you know but they were pretty terrible and uh and and they were uh I think her own thoughts i don't just don't know uh for instance uh, uh she said something about once uh something about vicky not wanting to kiss me or some dumb dumbass thing and you know i will tell you this alexandra was an actress who cared about the work who knew every line who gave me lines plenty of times off camera who is the sweetheart of, because I was, I was just starting and she knew that and she knew it was a huge role and, and, uh, and, but we connected and had a good, uh, we connected as actors and as people, but there was, she was, we went to dinner one night, Jacqueline Smith and I, and, and, uh, and we went to, Oh, I can't remember. It was a very, very uh, chic, fancy restaurant uh, um, that I should know. I should remember the name of it. But uh, and she would kid around. She would say Roger's idea of the great evening is to have dinner at the New York AC, and that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny because uh, you know uh, I I wasn't as um, in the sophisticated world that Alexandra lived in with Philip uh, was hardly the world that I lived in. Even with Jacqueline Smith, we were just out of towners come, you know, we had come to New York and we were, we were, as I say, we were out of towners. Uh, We weren't from the city or in town or the Long Island didn't matter. Uh, And of course I was uh, like everyone else in the world, followed uh the the whole sad um situation with but i i will tell you this alexander mulkey was an honest good person and that's all i have to say about anything and she never ever wants to me with anything other sure she was sarcastic with me and had fun with me and had uh had fun at my expense, but we all did that on Dark Shadows. Um, and I think that's I certainly to, you 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 brought a lighter touch to the show. You were you know kind of a, in, in a way kind of a cut up in a way, but you know. And well, I will say that. this though: Catherine Lay Scott had more problem with with that than anyone. Okay. And uh, okay. and I was told many times by uh, by um, Laura Parker, whose name is Lamar Parker, and 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 I knew her well and. And I, um, I understand she would tell she me get that, along great, uh, you and Lara Parker. Uh, 
Uh, well, I we we were remember she's from Memphis. I'm from the South. We were we were actors in New York. We're we're she, you know, we we identified with each other, and uh, I I took some really wonderful pictures of her that she loved, and and um, but we had a very good time, and and her husband, a uh, first husband, Tom Parker, calls me all the time. And uh, wow. when when he made a movie, I let him show it in one of the theaters in one of my houses that I had built in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, uh, the and and they were they were just thrilled that I would let them. You know, I have the home for sale, but I let them use the theater to screen their picture and invite people. And I've uh, I will tell you that when I came back to California, I lived with uh, uh, L- Lamar Lara. And her husband Tom in in uh, in uh, Topanga Canyon for about uh, a month, and and when I was very much alone and returning to to California after having been in Louisville, wanting to return to become an actor again, and uh, thinking, and then uh, I I got into the clothing business because I met a girl who was a fashion designer. And we lived on the 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 Third Street Promenade in a huge loft. And she designed because I saw her for dinner in a movie the other night. Mm-hmm. We went to see Long Shot. Right. And uh, and she she um um uh, you know uh, she, she did and still does very very haute couture. And and I thought, well, I love this is an interesting business. I'm going to do something that sells to everybody. So I got in the t-shirt thing and I had this collection of, of California crate labels and, and I put them on shirts and suddenly I telling you, I have one of my shirts on the cover of time magazine with uh, Senator Kerry. I had a shirt called baseball forever and my sunflowers. And, and suddenly I uh, in Louisville, in the Louisville paper, it said, and the rumor went around Louisville. Have you heard that Roger Davis, Roger Davis, did, did, oh my God, did all the big buildings there. He, in the Silvac Hotel, he's in T-shirts. Have you heard? He's in T-shirts. And of course, a T-shirt to them was like, remember the old Jim Croce song, uh, uh, Rapid Roy, that stock car boy, you too much to believe. He's always got a, pack of cigarettes rolled up in his t-shirt sleeve that's what a t-shirt was to people in louisville okay so but i sold that company for uh, enough money to get back into um to um to uh to being in uh the the you know back in doing uh, uh architecture and building and uh that it was just great what do, remember, what do you remember about Grayson Hall, Roger? I went to Grayson's uh, house uh, or apartment near the city center uh, many times. And uh, she was a delightful hostess. Uh, she and her husband were just, uh, the, they were, they were uh, they, you know, they were kind of the center of theatrical Broadway kind of people. Uh, they were great fun. She was eccentric. She she always seemed to like me. I 
got the impression that she really she had a lot of fun with me and we would laugh and and uh she she was um on on camera i had it it was just i she was so funny to me she was so funny because she she could be saying her lines and batting those uh eyelashes and didn't know a line and she'd look directly over at the camera and get the line with without a hesitation i would never have done that ever i think i would i never did that i never looked at that frigging teleprompter it was uh i just couldn't do it even if i didn't know the line if i didn't well i would also make up something that was really close to the line and and keep going uh i don't remember ever going up to where it was so terrible that uh you know um but look dark shadows was the one of the more memorable although i've had so many memorable and lucky oh, things occur when when i got my first tv movie i'm doing dark shadows i'm literally doing dark shadows and that lady dorothy bailey who i told you that i met who was the secretary to jack warner at warner right. brothers right submitted my picture, an old picture taken by a buddy of mine from college named Kerry Winfrey, whose dad owned Native Dance, was the, was the, uh, Kerry Winfrey's, uh, uh, Bill Winfrey, his dad was a huge horse trainer. I mean, the biggest of the big. And uh, Kerry went on to become editor of Smithsonian Magazine for 25 years. And uh, Kerry took this picture of me in Central Park. We had been to launch at uh, the New York AC, and I was in uh, just a, a Brooks Brothers suit with a vest. And and he that picture from an agent that Star Kessel team knew in California got on the desk of Dorothy Bailey, who was then the secretary of Roy Huggins, who created. Maverick, Fugitive, Run for Your Life, Rockford Files, The Bold Ones, and also 77 Sunset Strip when I was at Warner Brothers. And he saw this picture, and uh, I got a, a call from, from Stark who said, now this one you have to do. You have to get out of that goddamn soap opera and get to California because they're paying your way and you're going first class and you're going to stay in the Sheridan Universal and you're seeing Roy Huggins tomorrow morning at 1130 it was. Okay. And I went in this office. I was there. All the whole thing. Fly first class, blah, 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 blah. Walk in the office and Roy Huggins takes one look at me, I swear. And he says, better than your picture. <laughs> better than your picture. Wow. Uh Tell me a little bit about yourself. I told him a little bit. He goes, hold on a minute. And he called Pete Duell on the phone. And Pete Duell comes with his dog. And he says, while he's waiting for Pete to come, he says, Pete, you know, is already cast as the lead in this show. But I'm going to recast it with you. And I'm going to make Pete the bad guy. Right. And I said, well. Boy, Pete's not going to like that. Now, Pete and I had come up with Love on a Rooftop. I had turned down Love on a Rooftop. Right, right, right. 
he got Love on a Rooftop. He had originally wanted to do uh, a surf movie I did called uh, Ride the Wild Surf, and they didn't consider him to be uh, look like a surfer. You know, when he took went in a bathing suit, he didn't look like a surfer. Okay, so uh, I got that role, and uh, and but then so Pete and I's careers have bounced around. Anyway, Pete comes in with his dog, and I'm glad to see him. He's glad to see me, and and uh, he says, uh, "What's up?" And Roy was a very direct, and Roy said, "I'm recasting. I'm going to put Roger in your role, and I want you to play Honest John Smith." Think about that for a moment. Don't say anything, okay? And Roy got on the phone, okay, the call, and so Pete looks at me, and and I I looked at him, and I said. I didn't do this, Pete. I, I, I don't even know. I just walked in this office and he says, you know, will I do this role? And Pete says, I it was so nice. He put his hand on my shoulder and he says, it's okay. They're both great roles. I see why you will be better as honest John Smith. You know? And that was it. How can you imagine? I just try to imagine Ben Murphy having been taken out of the lead role and walk in there. And Roy said, Ben, I'm going to use Roger God. instead of you. God. Right. Ben would have taken that desk and turned it over. He would have said, fuck you. And <laughs> just try to get, just try to get me out of this role. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you and all your power here at universe, you wait and see you come up against me at universal. Wait a second. You, you, you know, well, because um, I learned the hard way later with with a guy like Ben Murphy, who we are now friends, but I can assure you that we never even spoke. When I did that show, we never spoke a word to one another. Wow. Uh, and uh, he he never, ever, he never let me forget that I was just replacing Pete Dool. Uh, oh, man, just, oh, brother. And uh, I know how... Um, I went off to do another show when they cast uh, Alias Smith and Jones. It was uh, kind of you, you remember the old show Adventures in Paradise with Gardner McKay. Oh yeah, it's hard to. <coughs> well, Gardner McKay was probably the best looking guy that ever walked the face of the earth, and he was big, 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 big star. And uh, so they decided to make Adventures in Paradise, which he sailed around the world on a yacht. So I got the role and. And I first show was in Acapulco. That's when they were making the pilot to uh, Alias Smith and Jones. And Roy was not involved. Roy Huggins was not involved in that. And my show, The Young Country, had not sold because the networks wanted Clint Walker to do the role. And Clint Walker was so different from me. And I remember the guy who made the decision, Barry Diller, said, Roy, Roger Davis is very good, and this show is very good, and it's tied for the highest-rated movie of the week of the year, and, and those reviews of Roger Davis and Joan Hackett were really something. But we told you that we wanted a series, a slot, a Western, with Clint Walker. So we're not going to put this show on. We're going to put on the Clint Walker show. And that's what happened. And so this wonderful pilot sunk. And, uh, and, um, uh, I, I remember seeing Joan, I, I was crossing, I was crossing seventh Avenue one day 
and Joan was walking up to me and she put her arms around me and she said, ah, my lover boy, if only, if only we had been born 20 years earlier. And I said, what do you mean? She said, we would have had a string of movies written for us, kid. Yeah, this it would John, have been this wonderful. Was Joan Bennett? This was Joan Bennett? No, this was Joan Hackett. Oh, Joan Hackett. She okay, would die. She, yeah, she, she was wonderful. She was wonderful. Yeah, she's and, a marvelous uh, actress. Marvelous actress. Yes. And I remember she said, just put her arms around me. She held me so tight. And she said, oh, man. Oh, man, kid. We would have had a string of movies written for us very 20 years ago. Very attractive woman, too. Yes. Well, the the reviews in Variety said uh, that Roger Davis and Joan Hackett were a uh, were literally a a uh, kind of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, uh, what was the girl's name who was in uh, Jimmy Stewart? She was. Oh, gosh. What was this actress's name? She uh, who was in um, um, who was in. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. The girl. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh God, will come to me in a half an hour. The blonde, the blonde. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Joan had a quality very much, very much like the quality of this uh, this star, and whose name is escaping me at the moment. Hold on, hold on a second. Jean, I'm going to get it. Jean, something. Jean was the first name. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Jean was the first name. Jean. Oh, God. Jean Arthur. That's it. I got the first name. Okay. Jean Arthur. Yes. It, they, Barati said, uh, Jimmy great. Stewart and Jean Arthur, they, they, uh, they were, they were the, like, we were the, the reincarnation of these old movie stars. It was like Roy had written a piece that was a throwback piece, you know? Mm-hmm. And, the the Dan Duryea role, the Dan Duryea played this role, uh, was the Pete Duel role, okay, in Young Country, right. And uh, and 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 the idea was we would come together and have a show, you know, mm-hmm. with Joan and me and and uh, Pete, okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's history. You know, things go by the boards, but. Uh, Recently in a restaurant here in Malibu, arms get clasped around me, you know, big hug, bear hug like. And in my ear, a voice says, it's your worst enemy, Roger. (laughs) And I knew immediately who it was. And I turned around and I said, no, I didn't turn around. He still is still is had me in a bear hug. And I said, it's only one person, Ben Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) And I turned around. And he gave me a big hug from the front and he says, you know, Raj, if I'd known that was the high point in my career, I would have been nice to you. Uh, only a few years late, but that's still better late. Than yeah. Is that, late. I mean, that's better a very, that's a very odd thing to say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, but that's, that's Ben. I felt guilty about yeah, that's Ben. I got ben, one, I got ben, one more ben came to my house up here. I just yeah. want to tell you once Ben yeah, came to my house yeah. and my house is, uh, it's really a wonderful house. I just got the cover of of uh, a magazine called uh, Ten Best Homes in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Ben came up and, and I remember he walked through the house and looked and everything. And, and uh, we walked down on the grounds a bit. And, 
and he walked back to his car and he said, uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never come here again. And I said, what are you talking about? You have a really nice home up in the hills. And he goes, it's not like this. And I don't really want to see this. Okay. It depresses me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> I got, I got yeah. one question I want to ask you about dark shadows and then, and then we'll move on because it, it obviously, again, I don't want your voice to go. Uh, and you've been extremely gracious. Um, <laughs> Thayer David, Thayer David, that's just one more question. How, uh, how did, uh, what are your memories of Thayer David? Thayer David? Mm-hmm. Okay. I really got to know Thayer pretty well because we had a lot of time that we spent waiting for our scenes to go on. And um, and I liked Thayer. He was just a, he was a very interesting guy that I, um, I, I just, we would, we would talk and I could sense that he, you know, he, he really talked to me. He said that he had a, an alcohol problem, a very serious alcohol problem. And he had, um, had for years later, I would know, uh, um, who was the other guy on the show that I really liked? Uh, um, oh gosh. He was like a leading man on the show Bert, very Bert, early when Bert it was Devlin, the Bert Devlin, uh, yes. Who, what, uh, who am I thinking of? A big strapling guy. Yep, who, yep, yep, and he also had I loved him and he was he was the father in gross point blank. It was just wonderful. And uh and uh, I remember when when because uh, uh, all of these actors the the live around Malibu and uh but but Mitchell Ryan. Yeah, that's and it, Mitchell I, Ryan. I, yeah, Mitchell and I were friends the same kind of way as I was with uh with uh um 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 i it's hard for me to call him uh, professor stokes but that's how you all as fans know him and i and certainly i did too but sayer sayer uh all day long he would drink cokes and eat hershey bars he would bring in every morning a stack of hershey bars and uh and uh, and two six packs of cokes and that was what he ate all day and um it very often people who've been and had alcohol problems will will get uh, they they find their the way they can get off of them is with uh, sweets and and uh, and caffeine from the cokes and we talked about it a lot because you would never have any idea that this man ever picked up a drink no never okay really he was. The most professional person I ever met in my life. Consummate. He, he never, you never saw him reading or looking at lines. He came in every day completely prepared. He knew your lines. Boy, if you missed a line, he knew it. Okay. He was, um, uh, and he was totally 100% dedicated to the work. That's what he did. That was his life. I never heard him ever talk about anything private or whatever. I, I had no idea when he walked out of that studio, he walked into, you know, the, the, what I call the darkness that was New York. Right, right. We, uh, there's a great line in the beginning of the great Gatsby where, where Fitzgerald said, you know, New York was a place where you could 
see a beautiful girl and in your mind you followed her home and and made love and and you know it it was that kind of town you know you the it was just uh um it it i miss it yet uh as much as my agents talk about my going back and you know gosh at, at this particular point in time uh that would it's it's those giant winters and the, when they need your voiceovers is from the end of october to the beginning of february it's the coldest worst time in new york yep. and you're you're all over the city auditioning and i don't know i just don't know uh if i if how much i need i don't need the money i would just be the fun i mean i'm not saying that we all like money and 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 it's not uh you know the the terrible thing about money is that that it's uh it's it's uh it but even even if you you're making it you, you know it's a game and you want to get more and da 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 it's just all you know but i can tell you that i've had the 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 greatest time and i don't regret anything and i don't miss anything and i and yes am i sorry for i've heard jacqueline smith say that we should have met later and that's true we should have met later but you know i look the my the next lady in my life i had i have a wonderful daughter the, yes, the, I the yes. yeah, I, I I have the most amazing daughter that is a, just a joy to me and has been for my entire life and and she's here in California so mm-hmm. I called her for lunch today but instead I had to be with who I had an obligation to you so maybe we'll have dinner and she and her fiance are are just the finest he's he's the finest guy I've ever met in. And I'm just so lucky. And then, and then I married a girl in Louisville named Dallas Leggett, who, who was is always sorry because it seems in interviews it says I, I married a realtor, and that's hardly the case. She was a, a, a very talented, uh, and had two. Uh, she look when I when I met her, I'm as close. But I have, I consider my son and daughter who are are look it's very hard for me to not see her son as my own son uh charles and i are as close as as um as i am to my daughter it's great that you i mean that we that's great yes as as my daughter is to her siblings and and to her stepdad who she calls dad and it doesn't bother me because she calls him dad when she's with him and me dad. It's like my two dads. And I don't resent it at all because he got, he got, he raised her, you know, she was living in his household and, and, uh, but I would go every weekend. I would go from Louisville to Cleveland and I have a text from him yesterday. I told him I went to a Dodgers game and he said, Oh man, I miss my Indians because he's, living out west now and uh is actually a partner in the company that uh is where i'm doing the voiceovers okay how about that for a connection life is just always connecting not bad at all especially so tell me so tell me tom the the uh 
do you have any other questions that you'd like yeah. to, you know, um, that well, ba well, basi well, basically, and, and I agree with you because I don't want this to go over, um, but I am going to, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and obviously we can, you can think about this. Listen, you can think about this and we can pick it up. Well, that's very generous of you, Raj, and we may come back to this, actually. Um, I want to let the fans know, by the way, that he guest starred, that Roger also guest starred on Medical Center, Night Gallery, Bonanza. I mean, there's just so much. But I think the last question I want to, the last point I want to cover. Oh, no, listen, listen. Of the 50-odd shows that I did guest appearances on yeah. uh, and have memories of the actors who from time to time I see and they say, uh, like the other day I go in a restaurant and, and um, uh, the guy walks over and he says, hi, Raj, and uh, gives me a big kiss on my cheek. And, <laughs> and I said, I don't recognize who the hell it is. Okay. Yeah, great. And he says, and he looks at me and he says, you don't know me, do you? And I go, and then I thought, and I said, Bobby, Bobby, calm down. And uh, I, uh, I uh, gave him a big hug. He's crouched over, and he had uh, a servant person on either side of him. It was standing back while he was talking to me, and and uh, it was Robert Conrad, Bob Conrad. Oh yes, the, the that, first. Nice first guy nice. to befriend me at Warner Brothers when I went under contract. And he was the, oh man, he was the biggest, hottest. He was the most fun guy I ever met. And he took me everywhere. He introduced me to everybody. Uh, oh, he was, he was great to me. I remember once he called me and he said, I'm doing a thing called, I don't know, it was, I, I don't know, he was, it wasn't, he was playing a pilot in a show and, uh, and I couldn't do it. I was busy and he really got mad at me. And, and, uh, for a long time, he didn't talk to me because I didn't do this show and I couldn't do the show. I was, I was doing something else. And, uh, but he didn't, he, he thought I should do his show and to hell with the other show because of all the stuff we'd done. And there I was looking at a guy, um, I guess nearly 90 and um, um, I know he'd had a lot of tough things happen to him and had a terrible accident. This one arm was kind of uh, paralyzed. It seemed to me, oh, but uh, we were just actors there for a moment. That'll, that'll happen. Uh, you know, it just happens here and there when people will see you and, and can't, uh, you know, just uh, you have to kind of look through all the years and, um, uh, and I remember him saying, as he walked away, he said, "You're going to get old one day too, Raj." Well, well, well <laughs> but so far, so far, I've been beating the rest. I think you've been doing pretty good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about a comment and then ask you one final question. But the comment I have to make, and I want the fans to know about this because this is how I most of the fans won't even most of the fans won't even know who Robert Conrad was. Well, so that was really a dumb story. Don't 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 uh, sell them short because a lot of them. Oh no, I don't. But I just think yeah. they're younger. 
But the but older, yes, older well, they'll remember. They're gonna they're gonna love the fact that the you consider the older fans younger ones, but uh, and, I, and I certainly do. But the comment I want to make, and, and and I saw this personally, and when I first contacted you, Roger, I mentioned this to you, and I always remembered you for this. Uh, where and of course Roger uh, was also in the uh, managed hotels. That uh, was another one of his things, and uh, one of the Dark Shadows conventions, and I'll never forget it. No, 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 no. Wait a second. Let me stop you there. Okay, I didn't manage. I didn't manage hotels. Oh, okay. I okay. bought. I bought a block of downtown Louisville. Okay. I was building a twenty-one story high rise in Louisville. Right. I had bought those apartments, and next to the Commodore and, and no, the Dartmouth and Willow Terrace was a six-acre site with a an a, a building starting to be built, and this is in a, an historic district in Louisville called the Cherokee Triangle. Facing a park uh, by uh, done by Olmsted, who did Central Park in New York, okay. and I had this idea of what to do with it, and I drew on a napkin and took it to the head of the local bank, who okay. who knew me, okay. and I said, uh, and he looked at this drawing and he said, well, this is a Park Avenue high rise, and I said, yes, and he said, did you draw this? And I said, yeah, and he said, uh, wow, can you build this? And I said, I sure can. And um, he said, now, I just come back to Louisville. I would bought the, these three buildings and I hadn't seen them at all. And uh, so he said, um, you know, uh, you have anybody I could call in California to see if you're for real? Uh. And, and, and I gave him the name of a guy who, believe it or not, when he called him, they had been in a fraternity in Louisville together. Can you believe this? They had been in Delphic, which my brother was in, and he's talking on the phone to California, the first L.A. bank, and he's saying, you know, uh, well, Roger's got a $10 million line of credit with us, so I think we consider him, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, a, he's definitely uh, for real. And uh, so he goes, thank you, and that's, uh, wow, wow. So he had he had me on, he was on speaker, and I said, hi, Tom. And he said, Raj, when are you coming back? And I said, uh, well, I don't know. That depends on David here. So uh, anyway, David hangs up and uh, and he asked me how much I need. And I said, $50 million. And he said, $50 million? And I said, yep. And, uh, and uh, he said, that'll take every bank lending institution in Louisville to do. And I said, well, you'll you'll head it all up and you'll be famous. Well, I uh, was thinking, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. And I appreciate your clarity. So I bought really I good. bought this thing. And then so I was the owner of the hotel. I that's, I, uh, that's, that's but, what I meant. You were the owner. Yeah, I wish I wish I had managed it. I wish I'd managed it as well. The steel yeah. was managed. I had to hire a manager. I it, uh, it was one of the rules of the of my loan that I had to hire because they didn't trust me to be the manager. But I wanted to be a Caesar Ritz. I wanted to, and if I'd had an opportunity to do that, instead of the people who managed it into the ground, and I mm. was one of my saddest so, moments in so, so having to hotel, sell that hotel. So you were a hotel owner, and I'll and I'll and I'll correct. That. I was what's called a hotelier. Yes, I was. A hotel. I I uh, so that when I went to Cleveland, I would sit down with the owner of a big hotel up there, who also owned the Cleveland Browns. Or if I would uh, come to California, I'd sit down with the guy who owned Beverly Wilshire. Or if I went down to 
Atlanta, there was always Ted Turner, you know, but the thing is, is that uh, you must know that um, when the tumult and the shouting dies and the captains and the kings depart, okay, you, you better have a humble and contrite heart. Yep. You better, you better know you're going to learn a lot more of who you are. You're going to be a poorer and wiser man. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've regrouped and come back on, on a number of very important occasions to be able to, to, uh, what's that song that Sondheim has, you know, uh, I'm still here. Uh, Remember that song? Yep. You know, yep, 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 uh, yep. and I'm still here. Well, I'm going to say uh, good I'm, times and bad times, and I'm still here. I'm so say, I'm I can just say, Tom, yeah, I, I'm a better guy now, and and I'm and and I probably don't sound very humble here, but uh, well, I'm not going to. Uh, that's I'm, not true, Roger. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not going to kiss your ass either about this. But I was very impressed. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I was very impressed. Yeah, very nice. To be honest with you. Yeah, no, no, I am. Well, I'm from Brooklyn. Remember that. Uh, and, uh, and hey, I, everybody has a Brooklyn story. <laughs> I've got a great Brooklyn story. You know? As your, and you know what I loved about Longshot was Seth Rogen's from Brooklyn, and uh, he's uh, he's a journalist at a paper that uh, that's a uh, you know like uh, was there wasn't there was there an advocate in Brooklyn was there a what was the paper in Brooklyn? There was a Brooklyn paper that was. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. There are a number. But the, the Brooklyn something or other. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the eagle, the, uh, uh, the yeah, I have a, I have a, I have a good Brooklyn story, but it would take a long time. Yeah. But, but uh, now that I, now that I know you're from, you know, I, I hadn't focused on you being from Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, uh, that's nice because I have a New York accent, I think. But maybe I'm losing that now. That I'm yeah, yeah, office. yeah. You, you don't sound. You don't sound um, as Brooklyn as you that's, do. That's just good to city. hear. Although, if I wanted to do it, you know, I could do a Brooklyn accent very well. I want to <laughs> tell you that day. Oh man! Yeah, yeah we can could talk for hours yeah. about that day. That's my wheelhouse. Uh, but, uh, but, well, yeah, I'm sure. But I was gonna. What it is? What it is? Yeah, <laughs> that's the way. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. The <laughs> truth. The, the truth. truth. The yeah. truth. But what I wanted, to, but what I did want to say is, and this is, and, and Roger, I'll remind you when I first called you, uh, and 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 this was at the Dark Shadows convention. And this is probably because you were probably I didn't have no I, any idea at the time, but now I'm trying to put things together. I may be adding two and two and getting twenty two, but I think maybe because you were a hotel owner. But so we're on the autograph line and the hotel wants to close the room prematurely. I don't remember what the reason was because of uh, some kind of fire law or something. No, no, I think it was more than that. They just wanted the room for something else. And there was a big line and uh, we would have had to, you know, and we would have had to, uh, you know, uh, suck it up. You walked by and, and people were grumbling and, and you wanted to know what was wrong. And I just happened to mention it to you. You went right in and you talked to the hotel management and you got them to keep that room open. And I was very impressed with that. And uh, I want the fans <laughs> to know about that. I want the fans to know about that. That this is that this is a man, uh, people, that cares about the Dark Shadows fans. He cared enough to stick his neck out and talk to the – he didn't have to do that. And he cared enough about to stick his neck out. That's my Brooklyn, uh, that's my Brooklyn ire. You're, you're, you're very nice because 
the the I've had uh, Dark Shadows fans. I've had a great time with uh, Dark Shadows fans, and I've had the those conventions. I think are a little harder for me cast wise uh, from the the cast uh, than they are the the fans. It's I think um, you know I'm uh, I'm there there's um there's i i you know i've just had a a lot of stuff going on in my life and sure. and but i'm when i come to the conventions uh i'm i'm there because i i remember and love dark shadows and and i'm as much of a fan of the people on the show as you are i i remember them all and and uh and i'm i'm i i do i, I think we're 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 fans of each other. That's a we're, very, that's we're, nice. That's nice. It, we really are. Uh, I, I'm always marveled. I remember, I, I didn't know David Selby very well. I photographed him once and, uh, and I photographed, I, um, um, also Nancy Barrett, I photographed and I remember getting to know her a little, you know, in, and getting to see, these were people who were really, really dedicated, so deeply dedicated, and would work their entire lives in the business. Where I was a guy who was, um, I, I tried my hand. I'm still trying my hand at producing, and okay. and it takes so many years to get something off the ground. Ten years. Somebody came to me the other day and it was a really great script. And I said, I'm the wrong guy for this because I don't have the 10 years that it takes to get this to the screen. I'm, I'm finally getting something to the screen this year with, uh, with uh, Studio Canal is going to be the prime producer. And, uh, and 10 years ago, we had Tom Cruise. That's very and, self-effacing. And, 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 this now we have uh we have um um Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, uh but that's how the business has changed and and but still I have in my own mind um I thought the best script was done by by uh, um, the man who wrote Love Actually and Four Weddings and a Funeral and uh I the script his script was my favorite and and still the guy I think who should play this is, is uh, 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 Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant is now old enough to play it. And, but, you know, it, it, Hugh Grant's not going to play this. He's not going to get to do it. He's, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know? I, I want the fans also to know, and Roger wouldn't have mentioned this himself. I don't think he would have, but we were talking about the Sealback Hotel before. And he actually let Dark Shadows fans in 1987 and 88 to host what they call attempt uh, they called at the time the dark shadows fellowship fair so this is yes. uh, so i think this is uh this is something i think the fans should know about that they didn't that they may not have known about before just looking at him you know uh on dark shadows in terms of his tv roles but i hope this interview will give, I, i'll tell you this i remember a meeting and i remember the manager my manager coming to me up in my office, and he said, uh, "What is this thing? We don't want to do stuff like that here." <laughs> and I said, uh, "You know what? 
just uh, just uh, relax. This is this is personal, and uh, you're going to enjoy it, and everybody's going to have a great time. And um, it, we're going to be in business after this is over. <laughs> what are you worried about? What the hell does he think, think the, that the, somebody's going to come in close. here and? He thinks the place is going to yeah, close because was, people had the Dark Shadows convention. This is this well, is we didn't. The, the hotel typically didn't do uh, the right. uh, kind of a genre thing. Yeah, he was and, scared. Uh, and scared. and uh, he was scared. He yeah. he just didn't know. And I said, yeah. you have nothing at all to worry about. Absolutely nothing. We might as well have the Junior League here, my friend. <laughs> Well, you know, there you go. So my I, last, I, 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 my last question. No, no. I told him that I'd rather have the dark shadows than the junior league. So anyway, let's go on. My last question to you, and yes, yeah. I appreciate your offer. We can certainly pick this up at a later time, uh, at our mutual convenience. But my last question to you is uh, an obvious one: is tell us something about what you're doing now. Oh my. In a hundred, in two hundred words or less. I'm okay. not going to say a hundred because you know, no, no, no. I'll, 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 I'll make no, no. I'll make it fast. Uh, I'm still involved with uh, with real estate in 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 a number of ways. Uh, not only for things that I've that I've designed and built, and still have a management company running them. Uh, that I still have my my finger in some pies of things that I think will will uh, you know come to fruition soon. Um, I I don't though I do have uh, you know casting directors and people and friends who who will from time to time say you know you ought to come and do the show and but I I the only reason that I don't ever think about it is because. Uh, I, I just, uh, every day is really full today. I had set aside today to talk to you. And yep. so I, I stop the things that seem like menial tasks. Now, let's say I've got, I've got three and a half acres here that I've got to clear because 50 homes burned recently in Malibu. And they're really uptight about the fires. And in 93, my home here, I moved here in 89. It burned in 93 to the ground. And I remember coming back up in the moonlight and everything smelling the way a fire smells real sweet and almost seductive. And everything burned. And we came up the street and my wife said, uh, the, the, uh, and this, this was, my wife, who I went to Cabo with here recently, mm-hmm. and Donna said, "Oh, look, the the we're in the moonlight now, and the trees." And she said, "Look, the the fireplace, the house is there, but the only thing that was there behind the trees was the fireplace." Wow! Everything else was burned. Our cars in the driveway melted, molten. Uh, everything, you know, the the the. Uh, Smoke was rising up off the ashes, and 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 in the moonlight there was one silver cup, a big silver chalice that I had been given by from the sealback. When I reopened the sealback that had been closed for uh, almost thirteen years, mm-hmm. um, the that was in the moonlight, 
all melted and and poured down the hill you know it had it had crossed over one of the foundations and was glistening in the moonlight just this melted uh the melted chalice from the seal back and you know it was a moment where you you think uh my wife was crying and she said gosh gosh what uh what will we do and i said oh honey it's 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 an opportunity i'm going to get to redesign and make this house the way i always wanted to make it and and i did only problem was i didn't have enough insurance to to so i had to come out of pocket you know yeah was was a little bit uh that was an eye-opening experience. I'll bet. But uh, the the uh, so right now, uh, I, little things that seem little are are big things. I have uh, I'm going to the the house is uh, is is um, a um, you know you you love something that you created, you know, mm-hmm. and. I remember, uh, um, uh, said I remember about a thousand times here. Um, I did a, an, 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 it was an insurance commercial and it said, uh, Lincoln national life. Uh, you, it, the idea was, I remember that, let's see, what was the start of it? You love someone, you want to protect them. That's love. And that's life insurance. Okay. Uh, and, and that's what, um, you know, it's like you love a home and you want to protect it. You love a person, you want to protect her. You love a car and you want to, you cherish it. You love a script and you want to do it. You, you know, uh, you, you, you meet a guy like Dan Curtis and now you, 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 you just can't help but uh love a guy like that because he was uh he had this passion you love passion you know you 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 and and that's what i'm still doing i'm still i still have passion i still have things that i love to do and everybody and i'm sure and everybody he's an octogenarian uh, you can go look that up in the dictionary if you don't know what the heck that is but uh well i got to tell age. you i got to tell you you know how I uh, how I how I came to terms of being eighty when I turned seventy nine. I said I was eighty, okay, uh, so and you and were it was it's you were proactive. Yeah, and I love I love it when I say I'm eighty, and they go, "Oh, come on, you're not eighty. You're seventy, aren't you?" Because you're doing so much. What's the difference between much. And that's an incredible yeah. thing. I only hope when I'm that age, I'm a kid compared. I'm here to. T- I'm sixty four. You know. But but I feel and I'm going to tell you this, I feel the same as I did when I was about 50. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I don't know why. I guess I'm just lucky. Now, look, I get tired more quickly. Uh, Stairs are harder. They're harder to go up, harder to go down. Uh, You have to watch yourself. Don't trip. Don't uh, you know, you worry about those things. You have um, you know that um, I remember. Let's see. Cesar Romero yes. did an, a, an alias Smith and Jones. Always looked great. Yep. And uh, we came back. We'd, we were supposed to have been in Mexico, and Sally Field was the girl in the show. Uh-huh. 
and Sally and Ben and I, we, we drag up to this door and to this big estate, this big Spanish estate, and we rap on the door. And there at the other side of the door is Cesar Romero. And he goes, my friends, you made it back. Did you get the money? You know, <laughs> like, did you did you find the treasure? And uh, and the director at that point stops the scene and he says, Caesar, you're just and he reaches his hand up to grab Caesar's hair and to mess it up a little bit. You're just a little too perfect, you know, just a little. I just went and Caesar grabbed his arm. He grabbed just below the hand, his hand on his wrist. And he and he looked at him and and boy, Caesar changed immediately. And, and he looked at the director and he said, my hair doesn't must swell. <laughs> That's kind of like Ricardo <laughs> Montalban, you know, with the, the rich Corinthian yeah. leather, you know, that, yeah. kind of, that, that kind of thing. The my hair. Now, yeah, I didn't go on to do it. My hair doesn't must swell. <laughs> so I That's see great. it's That's been great. it's a, about three weeks after the show. I see Caesar in a uh, post office, uh-huh. and I say Caesar, and he says, "Oh yes, the boy from the Western." You know, he doesn't know he did because right. not going to Caesar Romero is going to remember me. You know, he says, "Ah, the boy from the Western, funny boy, you're funny boy, you're funny," and because I ask him a lot of shit that no, excuse me, folks. I ask him a lot of stuff that nobody would ask him. Like, what was his trip like around the world with Tyrone Power? Yeah. And he just got the greatest kick out of that. He goes, how did you know about this? And I said, well, I read it in some magazine. But, like you know, uh, he goes, yeah. uh, Ty Power, Ty Power. You know, and he'd go on for uh, 30 minutes on Tyrone Power. Yeah. And this is all I thought. Wow, this is great, boy. So anyway, I said, Caesar, you know, you look so young. Now, he's there in the line at the post office, and and I just come out of mailing a package. And he looked at me, and it was like that moment when he said, your hair doesn't must well, you know? Mm-hmm. He looked me directly in the eye, and he said, don't judge a book by its cover. There you go. And I thought, I, I left saying, sure, okay, good to see you, Caesar, and, and I hope we we see each other again, and he goes, yes, yes, believe me, I do too. And uh, a one week later, the headlines of the L.A. Times were, Caesar dies of uh, cancer. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing more that you can say for something like that. But uh, but 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 be glad. Obviously, you had the experience with him, and thank you for sharing that with all of us. Uh, well, what I'm saying is that we just you you play it as it lay. You know, life right. is. Uh, uh, first time I went to Monte Carlo, and I heard that great phrase that that it reverbs through all of the casino. Les jeux sont faits, les jeux sont faits, rien ne va plus. Les jeux sont faits, les jeux sont faits, rien ne va plus. And uh, what it meant was there's no more bets. The chips are down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Les the plays are made. The chips are down. No more bets. So you, you can't go anymore. You can't go anymore. See what I mean? No more. Uh, and that's what life is. The chips are down. There are no more bets. Uh, you've, what you've done, you've done. 
what you have, you have. And whatever the future brings, it's uh, it's a gift. But you've dealt with gift. the cards. But you've dealt with the cards that you've been given, and that is, I think, a major thing. And uh, I think, in terms of a final session for now, uh, I think that we can. I, I think I'm. I'd like to be safe to say that Roger has dealt with the cards that he that he's been given, and he's dealt with them expertly. And uh, you know, I mean, he's, oh, thank you. He's not a god. He's got everybody's got his faults. No. But this man, but this man has done things with his life. And and I think that they deserve to be recognized. I'm sure the fans will feel that way as well. Not just in Dark Shadows. Of course, everybody's interested in it for Dark Shadows. But that was what I wanted the focus of this interview to be. Not just on Dark Shadows, but in the other areas of your life that you really have excelled in. And you've taken a lot of risks. You've taken a lot of risks. But, uh, but it's very interesting the way things have turned out. Uh, yeah, they, they, it, look, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, Dark Shadows was a risk at a time when my career was soaring, you know, it was on, a, on the way to do it. And then even after Dark Shadows was over, I still got, I, I got it kicked again with, uh, going out and making uh, a TV show, a pilot for, for a big series. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, then I came back and did the Dark Shadows movie, which I was very proud of. And I know it was a big yep. movie for MGM, and and, and well, I sa- still it's, think it, it's one of. It saved them from bankruptcy. Oh, it saved them. From I can bankruptcy. tell you when you walk when you walk down into my theater here at the house, wow. the first thing you'll see when you look directly across from where you walk into the theater is a big poster of Dark Shadows. It's an Italian poster, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it, and it's right there. And uh, there are a lot of other posters from other old movies, but uh, uh, there's it's it's not uh, it's it's the it's the one you see when you walk in and everybody says, what is that? What's that? And and if they'll take the time, I'm happy to show any of my friends House of Dark Shadows, because I think it was one of the great vampire movies ever made. He, he ever made. Curtis was a genius when it came to horror. He knew what he was a doing. A genius. He was a genius. He knew what he was doing. He had a great background because he loved the old horror movies. Yep. He knew how to translate it. Uh, he knew what what made horror fans tick. Uh, he, you know, when we, when I went into the first interview with him, he said, "You like horror movies," and I said, "Let me tell you how much I like horror movies." The Ohio Theater, the little oh, this little theater in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. had a had a seven days they would show a double feature of horror movies, and you watched if you went to see all six, you got to see Dead Man's Eyes and The Mad Ghoul Free on Sunday. Oh my God! Oh my God! And What's and he said, and who was your favorite? And I said the scariest person that ever did anything in horror movies was Bela Lugosi. Okay. Absolutely. And he said, Oh my God, that's exactly. I said, when Bela Lugosi walked down those stairs in that first Dracula, I was like, Oh my God, I was, I was scared. I wasn't so scared. I kind of, of the wolf man, the mummy a bit too, I must say, because it was impressionable and you're young. But Dracula, man, Dracula, oh, brother. Children of the night, 
what music they make. And I'll tell you something, they actually had, they actually had nurses in the theater. I don't know if you know this, when, when, the, when, the, when the 31 Dracula first came out, they actually had nurses in the theater because the women were fainting during the yeah. performance, during the, during the sure. movie. And and that's the kind of impression you don't see that nowadays with horror movies going for the blood and gore and the slash. But it was the it was the psychological. It was the you know it was the every you know, everything was related to the very sensuous uh, the, the the very sensuous moment when the vampire bites the girl. It was it was really something. And, and I must say, when I got my chance to bite. Joan Bennett, and you saw the big fight. Uh, I was, I was, I was in heaven. It was uh, the realization you know? of a lifelong dream. <laughs> I, I must, marvelous. I must get a, I must get a shot of that. I've got to run that show and get that clip because I would love to have that clip with my, my, my mouth open, about to bite. Joan Bennett. Did, uh, I'll did, never forget it. Did it a few I'll times. Never forget actually. it. I, a few times. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope uh, certainly. I don't know when I'm going to be in California again, uh, but I hope we meet one day, uh, you and I. Yeah. Listen, uh, that would be nice. I'm going to. Uh, of course, you're. Uh, Wait a minute now. You six oh two. Where are you? Where no, no, are you? no. Remember, in, I uh, this was when I lived in Arizona. I lived in Arizona for a few you're years. You're in Denver. Oh no, my no, god. No, 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 not in Denver. No, this is probably coming out of Skype because I'm calling you on Skype, so it's a it's a different kind of thing. But the six oh two area. Where are you? I'm in where? Florida. I'm, a, I'm in Florida. Oh, I that's right. Yeah. Raton. Are you in Are you in uh, Miami Beach? No, Boca Raton, Delray Beach area. The Boca Raton, Delray oh, sure. Beach area. Yeah, my yeah. Family, yeah. Um, but nice. I have a cousin. Nice, nice. I, I have a cousin in the valley. Uh, but uh, but anyway, if, if that ever occurs. But uh, but suffice it to say, everybody. Well, I was in the valley just yesterday. Oh, there you go. There you go. I had cousins in yeah. Woodland Hills, Canoga Park, East Hills, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I still remember Sepulveda. I was in Woodland Hills yesterday. And I still remember okay. Sepulveda so. Boulevard. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. That's where you drove. If you were too scared to drive in the freeway. Uh, but uh, They used but, to have drag races up and down Sepulveda Boulevard. Oh, my God. And remember the movie that uh, – the very first movie that the Star Wars guy did, George Lucas? Yes. That, yes. That, that, Absolutely Dimension, great Dimension, movie. Did he do Dimension 13? I mean, I'm trying to remember. I don't know. No, he may not have done that, but I don't remember the first His biggest movie. Yeah. What was his biggest movie? Oh, where, American where, Graffiti. The, uh, American Graffiti. Where, where is my Yeah, that's it. American wow. Graffiti and also Return. Uh, wow. American Graffiti Returns. There were lots of fans. Movie. See, oh, the yeah. fans are listening to this, and, and they're saying they're saying all these things much quicker. Aren't you, folks? You're saying it much quicker than we're saying it. That, that's we're, right. We're that's very right. slow. That's right. And every time I'm trying to think of, I was trying to think of Gene Arthur. You all are going, Gene Arthur. What? It's Gene Arthur. That's who he's like. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so. that. That's the that's the the benefit of it. Roger, in closing, do you have anything you'd like to say to the fans? I would just like to say, guys, thank you. Let's do it again. Let's have another convention, and I hope to see you soon. Oh, from your lips, okay. to God, from your lips to God's ears. I certainly hope we can have another. Yeah. I hope Jim Pearson's listening out there.
and uh, and and thank you once again, <laughs> Roger. Thank you once again, Roger, for the uh, we have we've spoken for a while, and thank you very much for devoting your time to us. Please, uh, please apologize to your daughter for me for taking for taking you away from. Oh her. no, 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 no. Uh, but uh, I, I say, I say, I say, thank you for listening to everyone, and uh, I hope uh, I hope our paths do cross again. And if they don't, just know this: uh, that that uh, I I'm going to miss you all. Okay. We're going to be optimistic, Roger. We we're going to hope that you're going to be yeah. around for us a while longer, uh, so that so. we can so that we can do this again. And so now, uh, everybody, I'm going to sign off uh, uh, on behalf of Keith and um, and Vicky. Uh, and uh, we uh, will be including this in the future podcast. And uh, thanks again for listening. Much appreciated. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye, guys. Okay, we're off. We're off. Okay. So, okay. so Raj, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I had a good time, and I'm awfully hungry because. Uh, so am I. And, and let me tell you, I'm glad you talked because I'm getting over. You haven't eaten all day. Well, okay. it's been a while. Talk to you soon. Thanks again, Ron. Be well. Take care of yourself. Yeah, listen, you you get pumped up and you don't. I had a great time. Thank you, Tom. Okay. I had Bye. a great time to figure out. I used to know. Those streets of listen and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow, the snow. But then I, I, I am dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. Christmas Eve.